Hey, Real Nerds. There's many ways to enjoy the Real Nerds podcast. You can listen to us on Stitcher, iTunes, and now Spotify and iHeartRadio. You can see what we're up to around town by following us at Real Nerds on Instagram. And if you want to send us your thoughts, you can email us at realnerds at gmail.com or call us at 720-6NERDS5. Like us on Facebook at Real Nerds Podcast or tweet us at Real Nerds. And now on with the show. Strikes on the batter, some runners are on. Then suddenly everyone's looking at me. My mind has been wondering what could it be. They point to the sky and I look up above. And a baseball falls into my glove. I play right field. It's important to know. You gotta know how to catch, you gotta know how to throw That's why I play in right field, way out where the dandelions grow As a proud sponsor of Little League Baseball, Pizza Hut welcomes all the kids who make it great Making it great Officially, the official podcast, a Denver Pop Culture Con Thanksgiving Edition 2020. I am Ryan. With me is... Literally with you is Brad. I know. I haven't seen you, like, <laughs> literally in flesh in, like, eight weeks. Yeah. That's Maybe longer. accurate. Yeah. I think we're on Nerdemic Week 9. Yeah. <laughs> so... Well, kind of. Kind of. So, this week, we're actually going back in time 30 years with my fellow nerds who are all here on zoom hi hi and kellen's here too and leona hey that, that was, i think someone that has me. a big birthday that coming sounded up like her but yeah, yeah she got a cake. maybe my nose are going to be happy about what you jump up and down every time yeah. so we also have uh zach corinne james leona henry and i think i got everybody this time i because you're because henry isn't like buried in the sidebar somewhere. Hello. <laughs> but this is going to be an experiment because uh, we're that... not we're not all together for Film Explosion 1990. 1990, Brad. You and I were the only ones old enough to go to movie theater at this time. <laughs> hey. Uh, 
I, one I of, bet one I of saw my favorite like movie something years. animated in theaters. I'm tr- I turned five. The Care Bears movie. Reissue. The Care Bears movie. Yeah, five is a lot. Kellen's five. He'll soon be six, guys. All right. So if you've never uh, sat down for a film explosion or listened to a film explosion with us, we each compiled a list of our 10 favorite films from 1990. And we will reveal them in a specific order. Now, no one knows what everybody picked except for Brad. Brad made an awesome Blu-ray for us. Of trailers. Of trailers. Um, So, yeah. So... Like I said, we do a countdown. Brad has made an awesome Blu-ray for us. Um, You guys might not be able to see it here, but the order goes me, then Brad, then Corinne, then James, then Zach, and then Henry. You're last. And then Strong. Nice. And uh, the the arrow select is a pizza icon good job brad thank you and the first uh arrow is a sigh that's right it's gonna uh, tell us where what pages to go to i'm expecting more easter eggs if i know you and your uh blu-ray shenanigans there is a lot of overlap in this episode so oh cool cool yeah so um i played with it i guess i'll get this show on the road um, my first film now, usually, uh, James and I usually have the same mentality for our 10th film. Usually every film explosion where it's probably not a good movie, but for some reason it means a lot to us. Um, or it's just fun. And this, uh, this first movie of mine, they need to watch the video. Okay. Thank you, buddy. Um, Sorry, my kid is trying to show you guys gnomes. Um, So my first film is one that my friend Brandon and I used to rent all the time from Blockbuster. And um, it's not very good, but there's enough moments in it where I laugh and um, have a good time watching it. And my number 10 film of 1990 is... In 1973, an entire world watched as a little girl and a holy exorcist battled and cast out the devil himself. But now... I think Nancy has been... repossessed. And this is the only man who could possibly save her. Leslie Nielsen. I couldn't hide my butt with both my hands. Linda Blair. God created man in his own image. And how do you explain This is in America, the ultimate confrontation of good against evil. Real possessed. Coming soon. Yeah, my number uh, 10 film is uh, Repossessed, uh, starring Leslie Nielsen and Linda Blair. Uh, it's Yes, it is basically just a rip on um, <laughs> on The Exorcist and a bunch of late 80s, early 90s jokes. Like Leslie Nielsen dresses up as Michael Jackson, and there's jokes about Ted Kennedy in it. <laughs> and um, Yeah, it's not that great of a movie. 
but my friend Brandon and I used to watch it all the time, and I still laugh at it. I mean, they have stupid jokes. You know, Leslie Nielsen's character's name is Father May I. <laughs> it's just stupid uh, stuff like that. Um, and, you know, there's this one part where they're the devil wants to broadcast itself across the world on TV, of course, and they have to flip the switch, and it's this really big light switch, and when I say really big, it's like 10 feet tall. Um, <laughs> it's just stupid. It's just stupid shit like that, but it's a film that means a lot to me because I like movies like that. I like the silly comedies that are um, not always like the smart... Well, I'd say it's kind of a smart movie, but you know what I mean? Like, just the jokes are really stupid, and um, it's a, it's an easy way to just sit back and watch something for 90 minutes. Am I the only person here who has seen Repossessed? I think you are, but I want to watch it now yep. based on that trailer. Yeah. Oh, I mean, that part where she uh, blows, the, pushes him down the stairs goes on for like 20 seconds of him falling downstairs. That's awesome. <laughs> I want to watch this movie. Do you have it? Uh, I do. I have it on awesome DVD by Artisan Home Entertainment. Does anybody remember? <laughs> I don't think I've ever seen it on the shelf anywhere. Uh, no, it's... Snap cases? Oh yeah, no, it's not a snap case. Um, this is a classic DVD case, guys. I mean, the image quality is about as good as the trailer that you just saw. Um, <laughs> it's, it's definitely sourced from a VHS. Um, uh, did you did you buy it at a gas station? No, um, I don't remember where I got the DVD. I'm I'm sure you can get it on Amazon, but I didn't get it on Amazon. I I, I probably got it at Suncoast in Villa Italia or something. <laughs> <laughs> um, see, you young folks, Villa Italia was a mall in Colorado where Belmar is now. It was a good mall. It was, like it was a, a good mall. That, like, came as a special feature of something else. Uh, <laughs> it, it, it does seem like it'd be, you know, included on the Exorcist 40th anniversary Blu-ray or something. You know, it's... So I'm looking on Amazon right now. It's it's available for six ninety nine as part of the Lost Collection, the best movies you totally forgot about. It has the <laughs> it has the poster, and I'm gonna pull up my video here to show you guys. For some reason, it's just got a dude on the cover who's got a thought bubble next to the poster. I don't understand yep. this DVD, but I'm gonna buy see, it because I want that DVD. See, because he ca he can't remember it, so his 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 thought bubble is empty because he's just like. What is the, this movie? The thought bubble says, "Let the humor of Liam Neeson, uh, Leo, Leslie Nielsen, compel you." Yeah. So it's what yeah, it's to think but not say. <laughs> oh, guys, guys, don't worry. It includes a trivia track. So for all you guys who were worried about no trivia track, <laughs> for for the movie you can't remember questions you don't need to know. <laughs> So yeah, that's uh that's my number ten. More of a nostalgic pick than there are some movies that deserve to be on my list more than this one. <laughs> but um, I had to. I mean, the last time Brandon was in town um, about a year ago, we we watched it again, and it, it's just fun. You know, it's it's I, I love sometimes. That's what's great about the movie medium is it can take you back to moments in your life. When you've watched certain things, and um, repossessed for me is definitely one of them. Brad, you're number ten. Uh, speaking of nostalgic picks, uh, this one is on my list because I liked it a lot as a kid. America's prison system, a feared and powerful institution, 
about to be brought to its knees by one desperate man. Oh, uh, I don't think our table has any steak sauce. Touchstone Pictures presents Ernest P. Worrell. Why are you such a screw-up? I'm just that kind of guy. He was just a simple man. The perfect choice. European styling with a decidedly American flair. Trying to lead a good, clean life. <laughs> Until he fell in with the wrong crowd. Ended up in jail. The Hooskell, the Slimer, the Joint, Alcatraz, San Quentin, Sing Sing. And got sent to the chair. The hot seat, the dead meat, deep six, it's over, pal. You're out of here, Bob. Oh, by mistake. That's not fair. Burn him. <laughs> but when they tried to charge him with 10,000 volts of electricity. Hit the alarm! Ernest P. Worrell. Electro Man. Took charge. He's all in the wrist. Is this the way you treat your mother? Three, two, one and a half. This spring, it's the screen's most magnetic personality. I recommend the lobster. In the most electrifying Ernest adventure of all. He's had a real hard day. Ernest goes to So I also love that both the trailers we just showed were in uh, four by three and not <laughs> widescreen. Oh, don't worry, a lot of them are. So, so let me ask you, I don't remember wh- why did what did he do to be put to death? Uh, so there's a, a doppelganger of him that is a criminal. Oh, that's right. And he escapes and switches places with uh, you know good Ernest and uh, yeah. And then yeah, and the then doppelganger there's a whole subplot where like evil evil Ernest is hitting on good Ernest's girlfriend, right? Yeah. Uh, he, yeah, he just reinserts him into his life, and yeah, so Ernest has to find his way out. And for like the longest time, I thought it could actually sculpt a gun <laughs> out of soap. <laughs> um, yeah, there's just like stupid. It's just a big slapstick movie, um, and it's like so. The trailer had a funny joke that had a vacant on the uh, electric chair <laughs> yeah. room. Right now, you can. Yeah. <laughs> The lengths Ernest go to make sure Burns know what he means. He'll even go to jail for it. That's right. You don't mess with Ernest. You know, there is something to be said, though, about good, wholesome entertainment. (laughs) And that's what (laughs) Ernest is. I think there's actually some dirty jokes in there on the sly, but I can't remember. Well, they put that in there for adults so, you know. (laughs) They can get through it. So we can get through the movie. But yeah, it's pretty amazing that uh, you know, a marketing character. It's it's kind of like you know Ronald McDonald having like a string of movies, you know. Yeah. Um, like this this character that Jim Varney originated. He, like he didn't just do one brand; he went like across like multiple brands. So, what what was Ernest's first appearance? I think it was like some local auto thing. Really? Uh, yeah. Yeah, it was something like that, or like a local restaurant. It was it was like small time commercials. Yeah. Well, good for him. Yeah. Proud of him. You know, he died actually relatively young. Yeah. Because of smoking. But uh, I, I like I was looking at his IMDb. I think it was, he was like 58 or something. Wow. So Yeah, but the smoking <laughs> almost also 40. gave him that iconic <laughs> voice that we all love. That's well, right. Isn't it weird, though? Because he, he always seemed old to me. You know, just like Leslie Nielsen. Because Leslie Nielsen always had the silver hair. And when you go back and look, you know, I was watching Police Squad. And at the time, he was... 40 something on in police squad and you go oh yeah he still looks like he's in his 70s though 
Wait, he's got silver hair in uh, in Forbidden Planet too, but I think that's because it's in black and white. No, that's in color, James. <laughs> Is it really? Oh god, that tells you how much I've blocked out that movie. That's like one of the biggest selling points of that movie being released back then. Uh, no, it would be uh, totally the the amazing soundtrack of random space noises. That's definitely the selling point. Well, that that didn't translate to the other people so clearly. Uh, that score is amazing. All right, so uh, next up is Corinne, if you want to introduce your movie, Corinne. Well, uh, as I was telling some of the other nerds earlier, I haven't seen a lot of movies from 1990, so my bottom five... isn't that long ago, Corinne. (laughs) Um, My bottom five are kind of just there. Um, Don't really have a lot of strong feelings. They're just movies from 1990. My number 10 is a movie that I have seen. Yeah. Well, at least it's a movie. Oh, shell shock. Oh, yeah, you got the (laughs) shell shocked in. (laughs) Just here. That you've been decorated, and they sent you here to be posted? Actually, sir, I'm here at my own request. Why? I've always wanted to see the frontier. You want to see the frontier? Yes, sir. Before it's gone. There ain't nothing here, Lieutenant. Everybody's run off or got killed. What about Indians? Dance. <laughs> Look, he's dancing. <laughs> you assholes. <laughs> Do you guys see that dance? 
Hey, remember that wolf fucked you? <laughs> oh, yeah, that's right. Never cry wolf, guys. <laughs> Never cry wolf. Check it out on the Real Nerds YouTube channel. <laughs> so, Corinne, why do you like this movie? I don't really. As <laughs> I said, nerds, during the trailer, I saw it. There might be a new rule for uh, film explosion that you actually have to have seen the movies <laughs> recently and not just put shit on the list. Are you a real nerd or are you just a a, a phony? I guess I'm a phony then, because I don't give a shit about Dances with Wolves. Uh, she's a big phony. Really watch it again. That's what I'll say. I thought it was like three hours. If you're ten years old, you have to sit through a three-hour movie, and yeah. I think it's on TV, so it's like four hours. No. Well, you should watch it again now when you're an adult and can appreciate that that movie's really good. Uh... Pastor did a good job directing it. <laughs> hey, Brad, can I last minute change my number 10 to Goodfellas so I can talk about how shitty it is? <laughs> <laughs> since, since, we're playing, since we're playing dirty this week. <laughs> oh, James, just wait till you see what I have above it. <laughs> God damn it. God damn yeah, it. Yeah, it's going to be tough for me to fix this DVD right now. If your number nine is Ernest Goes to Jail, I'm going to shit myself. No, but it's probably something of that caliber. I, I actually, um, when we did a podcast and Brad opened up the window with uh, these movies on it, I already know what your number nine is. And that's probably the most cold-blooded thing I've ever seen in my life. Especially after how you introduced this movie. I'm just saying, Corinne, I'm just saying. Uh, James! Because, I mean, obviously, Corinne's going to add nothing to why she hates Dances with Wolves and puts it number 10 on her list. If your number nine is my number two, I'm done. I'm just <laughs> done. That's all I'm going to say. Anyway, um, yeah, cool. Is my is it my, my turn now? Yeah, yeah. All right. Uh, so my number 10. So I use the ringer a little differently this time. Um because I, I, there were a lot of movies that I sort of intentionally left off because it would be mean. Because they're like, they're movies that like I've seen and they're fine, but it would be mean for me to put them on my list because other people really <laughs> like them. Like fucking Goodfellas, <laughs> which is an unwatchable piece of shit. But, um, okay, that's unfair. It's watchable. It's edited. They're Goodfellas, so, James. They're good. It's got good in the title. Um, so my number 10, I'm just talking about because it's not the best version of this but it's different and interesting and like people should check it out if you like this thing so my number 10 is this oh, oh shell shock oh good 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 fuck whoever has this on their list <laughs> from franco zeffirelli the acclaimed director of romeo and juliet mel gibson glenn close alan bates paul schofield Ian Holm, Helena Bonham Carter, in Hamlet, the story of a king's death, a ghost's revelation, my uncle, a brother's ambition, a queen's passion. Have you forgot me? No, by the rude, not so. You are the queen. Your husband's brother's wife, and would it were not so, you are my mother. A father's suspicion, a daughter's honor. What should such fellows as I do crawling between earth and heaven believe? None of us. A son's revenge. Now could I drink hot blood?
must choose whether to forgive or to avenge, to love, to hate, to live, to die, to be or not to be. Hamlet, the extraordinary telling of a classic tale. I've never seen this version of Hamlet. Yeah, you should, as, you know, if you are in any way interested in Shakespeare stuff, I think it's worth checking out. It's kind of cool because Mel Gibson makes Hamlet more, like, angry and violent, you know? Like, he just, it's a different version of, of Hamlet. Um, Is he it's crazy? Definitely, um, it's, he's less pouty and like, oh, what am I going to do, you know? Uh, he's mm. more like, I got to kill this motherfucker, you know? But, like, yes. Um, I mean, it's the same it's the same story. Uh, it's just, it's also shorter. So like, if you were going to do, if you were going to do Hamlet, but you didn't want the four hour epic of Kenneth Branagh's amazing Hamlet, you wanted like, I'm going to sit down in Hamlet. Uh, then yeah, you could watch this and it's fun. Um, <laughs> like, and it's, it's also just different. Like if you've gone and watched or read Hamlet a number of times and you want like sort of a different interpretation, I think it's kind of cool. Um, and I think it's better than like, you know, when you get adaptations of Shakespeare and people are like, we're going to make it awesome or military. And then it's like, it's Coriolanus, but it's set in Italy during World War II. And you're like, nah, this doesn't actually work well. Um, this one, I think, actually works well because at least it's still, you know, castles and knights and all that shit. Um, so, yeah, I think it's cool. Um, that's Mel Gibson's Hamlet. For James, what a well thought out reason to have it as number 10. Yeah, it's fine. You know, it's good. Yeah. I, I hope them, I hope it's your number one, Corinne. I remember them showing it to us in 11th grade English when we were reading Hamlet. Oh. And I was a little baffled, like, they're showing this version? Okay. Yeah, that is incorrect. They should have showed you the, the Kenneth Branagh version, even if they show you the, the... Well, high school classes are rarely five hours long. So <laughs> we're going to but, but also, let's be clear. Um, they teach Shakespeare wrong... And the best way you could actually teach Shakespeare in college, in high school is to show the mo- the Kenneth Branagh movie. Yeah. Like you actually should dedicate five classes to showing kids the four hour version of Hamlet, and then have them read Hamlet. And kids might um, understand and enjoy Hamlet because it was written to be seen. Or um, or you or you know maybe take them to a production of Hamlet if it's well that costs him. money. Let me explain to you about <laughs> public schools. <laughs> or stop teaching old shit. Whoa! Like, anything fun. earlier than the 1800s isn't worth talking about. No, that is not true. Hamlet is still great, um, and this version is kind of fun. And there's you know swords. So yeah, people should check out Hamlet. It's all right. The first time I saw it, I rented it when I was working at Hollywood Video. <laughs> and I was like, oh cool, I want to see the shorter version of Hamlet. And then I watched, and I was like, wow, it's over already. <laughs> like it's so truncated. It was just, it's almost like a different play oh yeah so i want to make a hamlet where it takes place in la like in the 90s and then it like a year later everyone will think it's great and it's not because there's like the 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 Washington is hamlet because that sounds great <laughs> that that was my dig at the leonardo caprio romeo and juliet uh, i was gonna say can baz Luhrmann make it <laughs> oh he can and he will so again james good job way to explain why that's on your list not just you saw it Thank you. Don't give me too much credit. I'm the person who brought us Harlequin. <laughs> hey, I want to see that movie. We're literally seeing like 10 movies from 1990. 
So. Corinne, but like after I did 1980, like I knew I need to start watching 1990, otherwise I'm going to have an awful list. So I did. So. <laughs> and you will see that some of the other recent movies that we watched from 1990 are on the list. Or you could take a break from your lame ass British miniseries and watch some 90s movies. Ryan, you say that, and I have been watching a British miniseries. I know you have. I know you, Corinne. If it's British, you love it. If it's not, you're like, eh, it's okay. That's probably why you think Dance with Wolves is meh, because it's about America, not Britain. Yeah, you hate America. I knew it. <laughs> That's the problem. Not the movies. Okay, uh, we barely let Zach introduce his number 10th film because it's going to be like 10 minutes long. Oh, yeah. No. So um, my number 10 is uh, A Ringer of Sorts. It's a film I didn't see until this year. But I had a lot of fun with it, and um, it's not—it's not my favorite film from this director, obviously. But it—it's got enough in it that it's more than enjoyable. And here it is. Herbert West is not just your ordinary doctor. Others dare not dream what we are about to do. He intends to make medical history. This is no longer about just reanimating the dead. With the help of Daniel Kane. It's never going to work. It's going to be uncontrollably spastic. And a few select friends. Mr. took my body, but he cannot take my mind. He's about to bring his dream to life. And God created woman. Someone old. What's dead is dead. Someone new. It is some kind of joke, right, man? How dare you judge my work? Someone borrowed. Who is she? <laughs> Someone blue. This is morbid doodling with human body parts. Is this what it's all about? Something so shocking. It must be true. There is my creation. <laughs> Take a note of it, Dan. Rejects. Daniel, you're coming. You made me! I made you! <laughs> Forget it, Dan. She's just an assembly of dead tissue. H.P. Lovecraft's Bride of Reanimator. <laughs> Are we having fun yet? <laughs> Is H.P. Lovecraft, like, a selling point for movies? <laughs> well, if you could do it him correctly, be. it is. Um, I don't really care for H.P. Lovecraft as a person, but his work is undeniably very influential. Um, but Bride of Reanimator is obviously not strictly Lovecraftian. It's an adapt It's a sequel to Reanimator from 1985. Um, for whatever reason, I only saw Reanimator growing up, but I didn't watch the Bride of the Reanimator or Beyond Reanimator. And... I think I was texting back and forth with Brian a lot going like, should I finally sit down and watch Bride of Reanimator? And he's like, you can't really go wrong with it. It's aggressively fine. So I... <laughs> aggressively fine. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> that might be like my interpretation of what he was telling me. But like, anyway, um, I watched it. It's it's really fun. It's, a, it's an interesting takeoff of Bride of Frankenstein and also extending the Reanimator mythos. It doesn't always completely work um the the detective that's following herbert west around 
is is a is a, is a very interesting character that I don't particularly love. Um, but I like that they bring back the spirit of that first reanimator and kind of up the ante. It's directed by Brian Usna, who did Society, and the the climax of this movie is very much an extension of the stuff he was doing near the end of Society, where body parts are formed together in the most fucked up of ways. And it, it, it's a fun, uh, it's a fun body horror movie that I think that if you can't watch a movie like Society, you could probably watch something like this and enjoy it. But I had a lot of fun with it. So. Yeah, it's, I mean, right off the bat, I have to say that the trailers are awful for all these movies. Yeah. Um, I don't know who's cutting trailers. It's, it's a fun movie. It's not like, it doesn't reach the heights of Reanimator, but I mean, it's goofy enough where it's fun. Yeah, it, I mean, like what I appreciate about it primarily is is that it's 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 uh, it's really much saying like, look, like we're gonna keep trying to ape on Frankenstein and don't try to stop us. That's why I say like it's not really Lovecrafting because it's really like it's really hitting hard on the Frankenstein films and less on Lovecraftian uh, knowledge. But like again, uh, you know, I I really. I really had a fun time with it. And anytime Jeffrey Combs is on screen hacking up body parts and creating, you know, new beings out of that tissue, I'm all for it, man. So yeah. Number 10, Bride of Reanimator. Cool. Thanks Zach for explaining why something's number 10 on your list. I appreciate that. I do my best. <laughs> uh, Henry. Uh, so my number 10 is a film that I love to introduce people to. Cause it's just a batshit insane movie that shouldn't exist. Uh, my number 10 is, uh, this film. Not too far away, there's a place called Rhineland. Home to some pretty, <laughs> interesting characters. I'm little Bo Peep and I've lost my sheep and I don't know where to find them. It's a place where Mother Goose rules the roost and classic fairy tales come to life like never before. Hi, Elsie. Long time no see. So come along as we travel to Rhineland in a magical musical video adventure from Shelly to Paul. <laughs> Mother Goose, rock and ride. When Mother Goose winds up missing, you've got to save me. It's up to Little Bo Peep and friends to find her before all the stories in Rhineland disappear. It's a very woolly emergency. Join in on the search with Little Miss Muffet. Can I play your tuppet? Jack and Jill. Unfortunately, there are a couple of klutzes. And many, many more. Don't miss all your favorite stars starring as all your favorite fairy tale friends. Get ready for a music and mayhem brought to you by the one and only Shelley Duvall. Great! Don't miss Shelley Duvall's Mother Goose Rock and Ride. Now available on home video from Lyric Studios. Uh, so yeah, uh, my number 10 is called Mother Goose Rock and Rhyme, which is a rock and roll musical noir film that takes place in nursery rhyme land, uh, starring Shelley Duvall as Little Bo Peep. Uh, basically, the plot of this film is that Mother Goose, who is the god of um, the nursery rhyme land, has disappeared. And they all figure out where did she go, and if they can't find her, they all die. <laughs> so... It's fucking dark. <laughs> so I was I was looking at my letterbox, because I saw this in like, December. And I was looking at my letterbox, and I genuinely don't remember why I watched this film. <laughs> But this film is like no, it's hard, buddy. It's like it's like a nightmare like, fueled like like fucked up dream of a musical, uh, and it's just a trip like from start to finish. 
it's just weird, but it's super enjoyable too. Like it's so over the top. It's so ridiculous. It's so much fun. But again, I'm pretty sure it's like a straight to VHS film uh, that stars a surprising number of people. Woody Harrelson is in this movie. Uh, Shelley Duvall obviously is in this movie. Every musician in that era is basically in this movie. Um, it is a lot of fun if you're just like, I just want to like feel weird for a bit. Uh, I would strongly recommend. But like, similar to everyone else, this is not a good movie problem. Except for Corinne. Not for, for Corinne. There's no British people in this movie. Um, but it's a lot of fun. I would strongly recommend, like, I'm not, I like, I don't really advocate for, like, being under the influence, but I'm imagining this film would be amazing on on different substances, and so, but anyway, yeah, my number 10, Mother Goose Rock and Rhyme, and so. Hmm. That that makes sense to be a number 10 film. (laughs) 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 Um, My number nine uh, is a film that is my favorite film from this particular actor. Um, it's a cheesy nineties action film, but I, I love the villain in it because he's, you know how you have a villain who's just so silly and he only fits in a certain era of films. This is definitely the Sandman from my number nine film. And it's a tag team review with me. Yeah. (laughs) Cowabunga. First, he demolished the supreme player in the most brutal sport in the world. Then, he crushed the competition in a contest nobody plays for kicks. Now, what's the problem? He faces a new challenge. Only this time, there are no rules. And nobody's playing games. Detective Burke, we want to send you undercover into Harrison as a prisoner. Van Damme is Burke. You're not going to last too long. It's not a threat. It's a promise. He's got the toughest job a cop can do. Prisoners hate cops more than anything else. It's a hit list. You're a dead man. His cover has been blown. What are you doing in my prison? It's too late. You did it! Your number's next on the list. And the odds are impossible. Welcome to hell! Van Damme, he loves a good fight. Death Warrant. See, when you make a list of your favorite films, the ones towards the bottom usually like ones that you really enjoy and but might not be <laughs> the best films. Now, I'm not saying Death Warrant's a bad film. I really enjoy this movie. Um, but it's my favorite Jean-Claude Van Damme movie because it's so um, over the top. I mean, he's made better movies. I'm not saying that's his best movie. Um, but I-, I thought it was like a cool premise where he's this cop and they're tracking down a serial killer named the Sandman. So yeah, so he thinks he kills him and then he goes into prison and while he's there he finds out the Sandman's alive and in that prison for some reason. <laughs> I don't I, I, if he's dead, I don't know how he's in the prison that he's in. Um 
But anyways, yeah. And then the fight at the end is awesome because they're fighting like karate style in the prison and everyone's just cheering. And if you're wondering, yes, the warden is a bad guy too. <laughs> All right. Why wouldn't he be? And there's also fights with mops in the laundry room. <laughs> when are people going to crack down on bad wardens in prison? That's what I'm saying. You think man. you put a good one in there? I know. If they're in, if they're in women in prison movies, they're like hot lesbians. <laughs> If they're in 90s action movies, they're, like, corrupt. corrupt. So, um, Brad, you're a big Jean-Claude Van Damme fan. Where does this rank on the the scale for you of his films? Well, uh, because of you actually rearranged my list to drop it down a spot. <laughs> <laughs> nice. <laughs> so it would be a little higher normally. Um, but it's also pretty, yeah, interchangeable with my, my number eight. But, uh, yeah, it's... Like it, it premiered like Bloodsport and Kickboxer ahead of it. I would definitely put those ahead of this. <laughs> so uh, it's pretty low, but for 1990, it's yeah. the best one. <laughs> but here's the thing, though, like it has the the Van Dam. Like I'm gonna when you know he kicks him into the the furnace or the boiler. They give you the ending of the film, like in, yeah, the, in trailer. the trailer. Yeah, but it does that slow mo where Van Dam's like, <laughs> and they recycle the same shot. Yeah. Um. Actually, I think also uh, Lionheart came out this year so he it had did. two movies yeah. this year and yeah this one's better than that yeah totally <laughs> is because the villain's name is the sandman guys because why is he called the Sandman? is it because he kills people in their sleep or something because uh, he uh, actually is made out yeah. of sand and he can turn into different shapes and then punch spider-man in the face that'd be sweet yeah so yeah that's that is the first appearance of sandman in film and he steals for his daughter <laughs> yeah <laughs> <laughs> cool hey corinne uh what is your number nine film that's good that you think sucks and you just put on your list because? Okay, so I'm gonna have to this... leave the room for this. Jeez, <laughs> yeah, y'all, this is just gonna be the, the the film explosion that gets I just get shat on. So whatever. Um, so actually, my number nine movie is a movie I have not seen because I got it confused with its prequel. But when I realized my mistake, it was kind of late in the process. And I was like, you know what? Leave it because it's got one of my favorite actors in it, or a couple of my favorite actors in it. So here it is. Introduce it, Matt. Peter and Jack, we are rabbits, we dads doing a marriage rap. You're just a little lady and you need your sleep. Don't want to hear no job talking about something to eat. Break down. Touchstone Pictures presents Tom Selleck. We are building an office for 12,000 people. You can't put a bathroom on every other floor. What if they don't go before they come to work? Steve Gutenberg. What are you doing in there? Uh, we're doing the laundry. I'm hungry. Hi. Hi. And Ted Danson. I loved your last commercial. The uh, laxative one? You were hysterical. You know, a lot of people say that when they watch it, that they really believe that I was constipated. We all live together. Okay. They're a modern family. While we think of ourselves as progressive, this is the most unique family environment. What a crock. Hey, hey, hey where hey, did hey. you hear that expression? What a crock. What? What'd I do? With some old-fashioned ideas. Oh, um... If Mary and I hadn't moved in here, we'd be in very different places by now. We'd be married. We'd be divorced. You saved us a fortune. No! And a few new problems. Ah, uh, Sylvia, no more milk. I'm getting married. Don't overreact. I can get some milk. Jack, I think she's serious. Who is he? Edward. Yes. Hello, gorgeous. Hello, darling. Where are you gonna live? London. 
Will you miss me? Will I miss you? Mary, I love you. Whenever you need us, you just close your eyes real tight, you look for us, and we'll be right there with you. Now, they're going to England. Wow. Look at this place. It's so huge. Not so splendid as your mighty erections, I imagine. And they'll stop at nothing. How about you? You with us? Yes. To keep the right woman... I love you. Oh, very, very much. ...from marrying the wrong man. I don't like the guy. Go to your room! He's not the right father for Mary. Then go tell her that! She's not gonna listen to me till I prove the guy's a fraud! But we gotta stall the wedding till Peter gets back. I'm starting a wave! They're three dads... Hang on! ...going overseas... ...overland... That noise? ...and undercover... What are you doing in my closet? ...to keep their family together. I made it! <laughs> I love your mom. Oh, I wish they had a category like this on Jeopardy. I'd clean up. Touchstone Pictures presents Tom Selleck. Kiss me! Steve Gutenberg. I've been thinking about us a lot lately. There. And Ted Danson. Where's Jack? He's making a move. Hey, You're on. Three men and a little lady. <laughs> you look very beautiful. I look like a dork. I have not seen three men and a little lady. I've seen three men and a baby, and I got them confused, but whatever. I like Ted Danson. I like Steve Gutenberg, and obviously Tom Selleck is amazing. So I just was like, fuck it, leave it on the list. What the fuck is happening to Film Explosion? It used to be an institution of respectability. It's because we're not all in the same room, you guys. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, we have rules. I have, I have nothing to say. Hey, it's supposed to be about our favorite films of the year. As Brad reminded us, okay? It's not supposed to be about the best films of the year. I know. <laughs> claiming it is. No, we're not claiming it is. We're just... We're claiming uh, usually you should watch the movies. Oh, oh, like you guys didn't have 1990 or 1980 film explosion. About half your list were like, I haven't seen this movie. No, totally. uh, that was uh, only James. Let's let's. <laughs> but but I, but none of James none... just went dark. Yeah, James <laughs> just went like silhouette. He's hiding his I've, shame. I've turned evil. I'm just gonna leave it like this. No, I'm good. There's no argument to be made. James saying, I'll get you, Gadget. <laughs> I don't care. I don't care. All right. I'm good. I always thought Zach was the uh, the troll in our group, but maybe it's changed. Oh, man. I don't. Oh, my jaw hurt so much from laughing during that trailer. Why did that change? <laughs> See, Corinne, you could have fooled me saying that you've seen it because, you know, it's English. Like, oh, that makes sense why it's on her list. But, but, I haven't seen it. Or if I have, I forgot I saw it. No, I'm saying because it's English, there's England in it. Yeah, I know that. that. It makes sense that it's on your list. Because yeah, well, right, so, you, you like so, stuff Okay, how about England? I just go watch it right now, and then by the time we come back at the end of Film Explosion, I will have seen Three Men and the Little Lady, and thus it's, it's placing it on the list. Yeah, be but that's the only you should watch. You should watch Dances with Wolves, because it's Good. Anyway, doesn't matter. My number nine, my number nine is a number nine film, um, and bizarrely also has Mel Gibson in it. I don't know what that says about about uh, 1990, but that he was, you know, bottom of the barrel that year. 
Um, so yeah, my number my number nine is this. It happened one night. Then after 15 years... Frank, is that you? Yes, yeah, it's me, Rick. Let me in, will you? Marianne Graves discovered an old flame. What the hell are you doing here? Me? What the oh. hell are you doing here? Being shot in the butt. Had never died. You get lost in your plane, you're reported missing, you're presumed dead. I attend your memorial service and I cry the tears of a grieving widow. Muffy. Until one day, I pull into a gas station... And you're alive with people chasing you. And you asked me to look at your butt? Oh, you! Oh, God! Oh, come to me! You did it! Do I get to know what's going on, or do I just get killed for old time's sake? He lived a life undercover. Since when did you start wearing underpants? Thought you said your dad read hogs in Tennessee. What name are you using, Rick? Nutty! You were a hairdresser? <laughs> I just can't believe it! Hi, Scotty. I haven't had a girlfriend in five years. Really? Yeah, Mr. Wiggly's been on bread and water for five long years. <laughs> What's eating you? Calm down. I just took a shower with a cockroach from hell. <laughs> He's in there doing his hair right now. <laughs> Mel Gibson, Goldie Horn. I think we lost him. Where are we? Not there anymore. Huh? We're in the railway tunnel. Oh, where the hell are we? Uh, so yeah, my number nine is Bird on a Wire. Uh, this is one that I haven't seen since I was probably a teenager. Um, but I remember it really well because it's got piranhas at the end. And I thought that was cool when I was a kid. Uh, that like, I, th I think actually like the bad guy gets thrown into some piranhas. But anyway, it's, it's mostly just that uh, Mel Gibson and Goldie Hawn are great and funny together. And it's a fun movie. Uh, it is very like um, night and day kind of, you know, that, that style of like, action comedy adventure thing um and it's not like super memorable but it's fun it, it's one of those things that you know when it was on tv in the late 90s uh, you watched it because you know it was that or top gun again so yeah. um yeah bread on a wire worth checking out it's a fun movie especially if you're just looking for like a good you know mel gibson action comedy so yeah i i call it a breezy movie where it's it's light and it's kind of fun to watch yeah yeah, uh, in, inconsequential, maybe. <laughs> yeah, the stakes aren't high. Yeah. yeah. It does make me miss Goldie Hawn, though. I really liked her. Um, in that era, she had a lot of uh, really fun movies. Oh, yeah. Um, that's probably, like, the reason I enjoy it the most is just because she is so great at that time. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. No, uh, it's uh, the end of Mel Gibson on my list, I think. So there you go. <laughs> yeah, because I don't think he has a lethal weapon until next year. Um, yeah. yeah, I've only seen it because when I was shopping for laser discs, I like I found something else that was in a collection, like a lot they had a bid on, and so that came with it. <laughs> <laughs> so, so the only reason you've seen Burn on a Wire is because you 
accidentally bought the laser disc of it. <laughs> right. Well, I was I it, it came with what I wanted. <laughs> you were forced to buy yeah. it. <laughs> I was like, well, it's in the room. I might as well try it out. You were strong armed into watching it on Laserdisc. And I had to flip it halfway through. <laughs> if you want the original version of Star Wars, you've got to take Bird on a wire with you. <laughs> yep. Oh, <laughs> uh, that's awesome. Cool. Zach? All right. Um, my number nine is a film that I enjoy because it has aesthetics that I enjoy in my regular uh, obsessions with old-timey uh, 40s and 30s stuff. Um, I don't know. I, it feels like it doesn't hold up supremely well, but I still enjoy it. So here it is. Now, you know, a little uh, primatine might just help to clear that up. There. Oh, shell shock. Those always throw me off because I keep thinking people are choosing Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. <laughs> I'm taking this bomb out of the headlines. I'm rubbing it out. Hey, Tracy, watch out! What do you think Tracy to me? I say we kill Tracy now. You challenge me, we all go down! Are you gonna arrest me? I want to know who killed Lips Manless. Not the bad! Not the bad! Big boy, not the bad! I know, and I'm gonna miss you. But all's fair in love and business. Whose side are you on? Side I'm always on. Mine. Okay, boys, let's go. And you, guilty of attempting to bribe an officer of the law. She does some nifty undercover work. I think Tracy drives you crazy, doesn't he? I want Tracy dead! Tracy, let's go! Good luck. You have just said goodbye to us. Aren't you gonna frisk me? Stupid cop. Tracy? You should make a documentary about the making of this movie and well, Warren Beatty's obsession with it, and then that would be a good movie. Like, Has Warren Beatty made a movie since then, or did it ruin his career? They should call it. The last movie he made, Rules Don't Apply. The documentary should be called Warren, uh, Warren Beatty's Dick. <laughs> wow. Get it? That's good. Because he um, had a big one. So, yeah. <laughs> wow. So, yeah, my number nine is Dick Tracy. Um, I uh, obviously I'm I'm prone to 30s and 40s uh, noir and uh, detective aesthetics, so I appreciate what Warren Beatty does with the visuals. Um, I also appreciate that he is more or less like really faithful to that character and that premise. Um, I don't I don't I rewatched it recently, and I don't know if it like holds up for me the same way it probably did when I was like 12, but. I, I still get a kick out of it. Um, and I think Al Pacino is a lot of fun in it. I, I, the makeups, I think the makeup is, it doesn't work on everybody today, but it, it, I think just, uh, Al Pacino's is, works just fine for what they're doing because they're trying to adapt a, a comic strip that essentially had goofy looking villains. And the, I, I think that it was the right route to do this rather than just do nothing with it. 
if you're trying to homage that original strip. So, and this is also before we had comic book adaptations that were a little bit more sincere. So, but yeah, I enjoyed this. So yeah, it's my number nine. All right, Henry, you're number nine. Okay, my number nine. Um, the only person I could think I'd be sweeping this one is Ryan. And if this film is higher than nine or eight for Ryan, he's wrong. Because that's <laughs> the best this could possibly be. Uh, my number nine is the best NASCAR film ever made. Uh, my number nine. <laughs> you and Ryan are teaming up. Oh, I knew it. I knew it. <laughs> that's awesome. Hold on a minute. Don't you think we ought to talk? What, about how I'm going to run? Sure. About how you've managed to live as long as you have. Think he can drive? Oh, he can drive. He can drive beyond the limits of the tires, the engine, the car, anything else. There's nothing I can't do with a race car. <laughs> well, that's the difference between you and me. There's only so much I can do. You want me to work the pit and you drive? You're running good? Thank you. I will see how you do in a crowd. I was desperate to get your attention. Well, you got it. I've walked into a jungle. Come up here and do it. I'll take you to a race. Really, I can't. I'm a doctor. I'm cold. Think your driving can improve? I'll take your word for what a car can do, but I'm not taking anybody's word for what I can do. I don't want you to hold a bad opinion of Cole. I believe it scares him. He needs reassurance from you that he's okay. After all, uh... How could you ignore me like that? I wasn't ignoring you. You're his doctor. <laughs> See, a driver gets his bell rung and a couple of lights flicker. And loses what he needs more than his eyesight, more than his reflexes, more than anything in the world. I've raced with my legs broke, heart bruised, eyes popping out of my head like they're on springs. His need. The need to drive right out there on the ragged edge. He doesn't believe you can drive anymore. How long before you find out? If you're really good. You just want to race again. Are you really lucky? You get back in that car, you'll die. So, Henry, I know why it's number eight on my list. Why is it number eight on your list? Uh, well, it's number nine, nine on my list. Oh, nine. I'm sorry. No, it's fine. Uh, eight and nine, you know, interchangeable. What's my number eight? Yeah, it's fine. Um, but, uh, <laughs> yeah, I mean, Days of Thunder, I think, of the mid-tier Tom Cruise movies, it's the most fun. Uh, like, it's just a fun film. Like, you shouldn't take it seriously because it's, it isn't. But it's so much fun just to watch Tom Cruise take racing so seriously. My favorite scene in the entire film is when he is in the hospital and he has the race in the wheelchair with the other person. Yep. <laughs> the movie's, I mean, Tom Cruise always gives like 150% to every role, no matter what. And so he obviously makes this film good. But, uh, yeah, I mean, I don't know. I just, it's one of my favorite Tom Cruise films, uh, even because one, it's not mentioned that often, and two, it's one that I feel like not enough people have seen. 
And then also just Tony Scott is a great director. This film would not work yeah. if Tony Scott and uh, Tom Cruise were not part of it. Obviously. Oh yeah, so Tony Scott can make a, any story, no matter how subpar, he can make it look some, he can make it fun. So. Yeah. Yeah, no, I agree. You know, I think he also has the greatest introduction of a Tom Cruise character ever, where he just drives onto the racetrack in a motorcycle and then jumps into a car and is like the most badass driver of all time. And, um, but, you know, the, but you're right. Tony Scott knows how to direct. And if you turn up your sound system and watch that, I mean, it thumps and and the racing is really great in it. And even, um, you know, Robert Duvall has some great moments where he's trying to get Cole Trickle, uh, Tom Cruise's character, back into racing. And it's it's silly, but it's it's fun. And and remember when he went his won his first race and they hired a stripper cop to stop him? Oh my gosh, those guys and their their shenanigans. See, and, see, because trickles are slow, but he's yep. fast. That's right. And and then he has to go to a dinner, and he's racing Michael Rooker to the dinner, and and uh, Nicole Kidman has a really weird saying where she's like, "Let me have the car, co. Let me have the car." She kind of sounds like a New Zealand Cartman. Um, but yeah, it's just. But uh, you know, Henry's right. It's it's not the best Tom Cruise movie, but it's a really fun Tom Cruise movie, and if you want to shut off your brain for two hours and just watch racing it's fun you said it's not the best time cruise movie but it is a tom cruise movie which makes it good enough yep uh, hey i stand by my initial tom cruise doesn't make bad movies he makes movies and even if they're great well i didn't say i didn't say it was great it's not bad he's a <laughs> wild boy i will take it I, when i say like he doesn't make a bad movie i don't think he makes a movie where you can't watch it I think you can watch every Tom Cruise movie and be somewhat entertained. I, I stand, I stand by my assessment. I agree with that. Lions I mean, for lambs. Even, even, even cocktail. I mean, cocktail is great. Lions. The bartender, it's the best. I mean, it is really cool to be a bartender in in New York and do the hippie hippie shake, but you know. And James um, Williams isn't his fault. <laughs> Nobody is in it. He is. And he's good in it. I think the, the uh, my favorite part about Cocktail is when um, Ben Stiller is Tom Cruise's stunt double in the Mission Impossible 2 bonus feature. <laughs> and he's acting like Tom Cruise. I think it's my favorite part of Cocktail. Um, and if you haven't seen um, Ben Stiller as Tom Cruise's stunt double, spelled the same way except it's C-R-O-O-Z-E, um, you should uh, put in your Mission Impossible 2 DVD and right click until it highlights uh like a radio and it's a hidden easter egg so good <laughs> you should see it anyways brad your number eight my number eight is a nice movie based on real life events you will be working with patients people doctor when you say people you mean living people you do want the job don't you hi i'm dr sayer i'm wahida wahida I'd like to ask. I was born in 1911 in Kingsbridge, New York. Prior to July 1955, I resided at the Brooklyn Psychiatric Center, Brooklyn, New York. How are you today? I'm fine, thank you. <laughs> Prior to that, I was a person. <sighs> it gets easier. You don't think it will, but it does. Can you hear me? 
Does he ever speak to you? Of course not. Not in words. No change in data 9-11-44. Your patients, doctor, haven't moved in decades. What I believe, what I know, is these people are alive inside. Well, how do you know that, doctor? I know it. I just wanted to say to you, I preferred your explanation. At 200 milligrams, he showed no response. Maybe he needs more. Maybe he needs less. trailers like that it makes me miss robin williams a lot yeah yeah uh so yeah my number eight right eight now yeah eight his uh awakenings uh robin williams plays um it's it's basically a an, a flowers for algernon type story so he uh plays a character based on this real life doctor oliver Sacks, um who's taking care of catatonic patients i think something like that yeah. i forget what the actual uh, medical affliction was but uh, yeah and he like tested this drug on a bunch of them and they woke up um, and so you know he was, he was lauded as um, like doing something great for these people but when it stopped working you know the 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 dilemma is he's basically like given them the promise of the cure and then now they're going to go back to you know and then he's like kind of shortchanged their families of uh, uh, their hope uh, for curing them, and so, yeah, it's it's. Benny Marshall is the director. <laughs> this is one of those that I've never seen. I'm gonna have to put this on my list. Yeah, I mean, it's it's actually kind of hard to find. Um, I think it's on Blu-ray. So it's in my cart. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it's it's really good. Like, it's just a, a nice. I, I, I'm trying to think. There's another movie that really reminds me of from that era. I think Robin Williams in that too. But you know. Is he the best at being funny and then being serious, doing serious roles? I think so. I think so too. I don't know. Just seeing that and you know him, I don't know. You just, I just miss Robin Williams when I see stuff like that. I go, God damn it. Anyways, uh, I, I, I would say he's the best at doing both to like the extremes, right? Like, like a, a, Tom, a Tom Hanks can do that too, but Tom yeah. Hanks, when he's serious, is not as serious as Robin Williams. He's not like, oh, everyone in Vietnam is dead. But then also when he's <laughs> funny, he's not as funny as 
a Robin Williams either. Yeah, that's that's a good comparison. Yeah, like the closest I can think of to, to come even close to Robin Williams would be Steve Carell, but even that I don't think is really terrible. So yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. and but similarly, maybe not not quite as wacky. Well, maybe yeah. I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, well, like I... Anchorman stuff is pretty is pretty. Yeah, Brick Tamlin is pretty. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> insane. Yeah, and then to compare that to something like you know, Flags of Our Fathers, or you know, yeah. What's that wrestling movie he did? Uh oh oh okay yeah all right yes yeah um uh Foxcatcher yeah right. you're right I think you're probably the closest yeah yeah Foxcatcher is really good in that yeah Ugh. um cool Corinne number eight. Um, my number eight is definitely going to sweep at least one person, so I apologize in advance. Oh, shell shock. (laughs) I'm sure that was your reaction when you saw it, too. The city itself will be our playground to use as we please, rewarding ourselves and punishing our enemies. We've been looking for you, Miss O'Neill. There is a new enemy, freaks of nature. Together, we will punish these creatures. What the heck was that? Looked like sort of a big title in a trench coat. Number eight is Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. That was cold-blooded. I apologize in advance. It's on it her list because it's a movie she's seen. <laughs> it's a movie I've seen, okay? It had to be on the list. Uh, but yeah, I actually kind of had fun watching this earlier in the year. Um, you know, re-watching the trailer just now. I, I, I said during the podcast, I don't think it was like the best introduction to the turtles themselves because I kind of kept getting confused and I wasn't entirely clear on their personalities. Maybe by the end of the movie, it was, uh, they all have different color bandanas on. Yeah. But like, I can't, it's hard for me to keep track of like which one's which and what like each of their personalities are. Um, but I do think that it's actually a really good introduction to shredder and the foot clan or whatever, like as villains. Mm -hmm. And I also think it's a good introduction to, to splinter. Um, and And kind of like his, his role as like their, their mentor character. And, uh, that, that shot where, um, Shredder gets introduced where it's like that long shot where it, like the camera fall, that was actually a really cool shot. So 
Also, it's a pretty good intro to April O'Neil, I think. So, I still yeah. don't like Casey Jones. I think he's annoying. Sorry. I would totally, I would totally agree. I always have a hard time telling the the um, turtles apart too because I'm colorblind. Yeah, yeah. I, I was literally <laughs> going to ask you about that, J- James. Do you have trouble telling the turtles apart? Uh, is there an orange and a red one? Yes. Yeah. Yeah, those two are really tough. Yeah, but then Which one's a- the fun- which one's the funny one, James? Wait, Orange is there a red? blue and a purple one too? Yep. Okay, yeah, fucking colored by nightmare. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Basically, I think that there's just two. There's only two turtles. <laughs> Micah Nardo and Donna Fell. <laughs> as, a, <laughs> as a kid, I always had to tell them apart based on their weapon. Or the letters on their belts. You know, for somebody who did who hasn't really watched any other turtle stuff and didn't watch this movie as a kid or anything, like I, I think it had like a certain amount of charm to it, like '90s kid charm sort of thing. The same way, like you know, when I rewatched Angels in the Outfield, I'm like, this isn't a great movie by any means, but it's a charming movie, you know. Yep, uh, I'll talk about it. It shows up later on my list. I'm sure it does, and Brad's probably. So no uh, doubt. later, <laughs> yeah. I mean, this is the film explosion Brad's been waiting for since we started. Since this we show. started the show <laughs> again, Brad, you should be thankful. It's on my list. Oh yeah, are you are you thankful, Brad? <laughs> I don't know if we never started. If we never brought Corinne in, we never. This never would have happened. That's right. <laughs> I know. If we was kept I, I this was nice enough to leave it off <laughs> So so Brad now women always imagine, rooting for the men. Uh, huh? Brad Brad, just imagine that if her number seven were look who's talking to and then she admitted she never saw that one she thought she was talking about the first one you'd know how i feel the, the, i mean the only thing that corinne's doing right is she's in the kitchen did you just uh conflate what? look who's what? talking to with three men and a little lady okay i would just like to say from so like starting with number eight all the rest of my movies are movies that i've seen okay uh, i just i just said a sexist joke and it are, just but... didn't go over well so it's okay, Corinne. I'm glad you actually had it on your list, unlike three of you other motherfuckers who didn't put it on at all. <laughs> hey, I left it off yeah. because it would have been mean because I would have put it at like my number nine because I don't think it's very good. And I, and I... <laughs> <laughs> I would have barely put it over Goodfellas just because I like you more than Zach. Wow. Yeah, because no. fuck's Owen Wilson? <laughs> oh, I have a funny story about Owen Wilson. So really quick sidebar. So I stopped this vehicle on a traffic stop a couple weeks ago. Driven by Owen Wilson? <laughs> no, no, but it's kind of funny. So it had a vanity plate that said, wow, and it had an Owen Wilson sticker right next to it. <laughs> so it was maybe the coolest one I ever So you seen. let him go, right? Um, I will not discuss what I've done on uh, uh, my discretion on it, but... It was uh, the whole time I was, you know, behind the vehicle and I was looking, I kept on going, wow. And I said, this guy is like really into it. I, I love it. <laughs> wow. Good for him. Good for him to be on the joke and paying lots of money for your vanity plates. Uh, James, number eight. Uh, who knows? Oh, yeah. My number eight is a movie that I watched a lot when I was a kid. I always thought it was a good, like fun adventure. Haven't seen it in a while, but I look forward to probably watching it again with kid in the next few years because uh, because for kids here this is my number eight this one right here <laughs> oh, <laughs> <shit>. <laughs> What the 
Walt Disney Pictures presents its all-new 29th full-length animated motion picture. Australia. Mysterious. Untamed. And for a young boy named Cody and his magnificent golden eagle, it was a world of adventure and discovery. Liar! Until... They met the villain McLeach. That bird's gonna make me rich. An evil trapper who threatens to separate them forever. It's time you learned how to fish for crocs. No! But though hope is running out, a message is on the way. To the Rescue Aid Society. There has been a kidnapping in Australia. And two little heroes, Bernard and Bianca, are flying in. It's the rescuers in the most dangerous mission ever. We'll never make it! Cinch up your seatbelts, mates. Now, they're joining forces with their new friend Jake and his army of misguided mates. Howdy, howdy, howdy! Aw, oh, Frank, give it a rest. They're flying into action, riding into danger. Missed! <laughs> in the most breathtaking rescue mission ever. Hey, who killed the music? Oops. This holiday season, join Bernard, Bianca, Jake, and... Wilbur! ...in an adventure above the ordinary in the land down under. Walt Disney Pictures, The Rescuers Down Under. Throw another shrimp in a barbie, sports fans. Here we come! Uh, yeah, so my number eight is Rescuers Down Under, uh, which is a really great uh, sequel. It's, yeah, like we were talking about during the trailer. Um, I would say better than the original a whole lot of fun just a good adventure movie um but yeah no it's uh it's really great you know it's like an eight so anyway that was my number eight the rescuers is madame medusa she's the villain in the first one probably the sea level of all disney movies probably what sea level disney movie oh i think it's better than that i mean i think um like when i've returned to it or like some of the other ones that I've seen that like I never saw when I was a kid. Um, one of them I don't want to mention because it's actually like Brad's favorite Disney movie. Um, there are some of those that just don't hold up to me as well. Um, but but no, I, I mean I think it's 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 definitely good. No, I'm really just trying to get under Corinne's skin. Oh sure, oh yeah, I'd say it's a B, right? Yeah. Like it's it's not quite. It's not like Lion King, Beauty and the Beast, but it's right. it's not like yeah. I, Whatever. Black Cauldron. Right. Cauldron Company, just say it. <laughs> uh, Zach, number eight. Cool. cool. Is it me? Yep. You're Zach, right? Yep, I yeah. am Zach. Um, and uh, to reiterate, Corinne, yes, fuck me, I'm terrible. Uh, my number eight is um, uh, a Clint Eastwood movie, uh, and I think it's one of the most underrated Clint Eastwood movies of all time. Clint Eastwood, White Hunter, Black Heart. I don't care if this picture's shot in black and white or sepia tone, or we have to make the whole damn thing in animation. Pete and I are going to Africa. There are times in this life when you can't wonder whether it's the right or the wrong thing to do. Not for guys like you and me, kid. You just gotta pack up and go. John Wilson, a brilliant, don't-give-a-damn type filmmaker who continually violated all the unwritten laws of the motion picture business, yet had the magic, almost divine ability to always land on his feet. Paul, I hope I don't have to kill you before this picture's finished. 
He's always been like that. No, he's worse than ever. He's insane. In a well-ordered society, he'd be in a straitjacket right now. If there's half as much love in this old gal as there is talk, I may be dead in the morning. John, give it up. Something terrible is wrong. The man has the fever. It's just like any passion. It's irresponsible and it's destructive. This is simply paradise here. In fact, I'm seriously thinking of staying here forever. Clint Eastwood, White Hunter, Black Heart. So, yeah. Um, it's okay if you haven't seen that. Oh, she's right there. <laughs> have you never seen it, Ryan? No. Oh, so um, White Hunter Blackheart is Clint Eastwood plays a uh, a filmmaker who's off to make a movie in Africa in the 50s. And before he wants to make the movie, he wants to hunt down an elephant. And it's essentially um, a, a loose retelling of the making of the African Queen, where the director was John Huston. And what I appreciate about this film, and I did this early on in the Clint Eastwood article series, is that as, as I've discussed before, Clint Eastwood at a certain point starts breaking down his own mythos and iconography. And this is one of the first stepping stones to it. Uh, the film really tackles into um, deconstructing that masculinity and that uh, the, 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 what are the things that men do to make themselves feel good about themselves. And like, obviously this is a relevant conversation across time. Um, but his performance in this film is my favorite of any performance he's given. Um, he is, he is surprisingly subtle and moving and he doesn't, he, he kind of does a John Huston impersonation, but it's not like so overt. It's not like he's going full force with it. Like it's, it's a, it's a slight little tinge of his voice to really sell that, Hey, this is an adaptation of what John Huston was doing during the making of the African queen. So, um, and it's, uh, I, I think it's, I think it gets overlooked. It has a solid cast behind it. Uh, Jeff Fahey's in the movie, plays kind of like the cipher character to the author of this book who um, originated the story. Um, and uh, George DeZunda is really good. I, it's, I think it's a film that uh, if, you, if you're looking at Clint Eastwood's filmography and you haven't watched this, this is one you need to sit down with and watch. So, but yeah, my number eight, White Hunter, Blackheart. Cool. Um, I don't, I don't know if anyone else has seen it, so I guess we have nothing else to say. No, it yeah, sounds interesting. I, I do recommend you. I, I I think you guys would like it. It's it's a it's it's not super long either. It's got a lot of neat imagery with it, and like I said, Clint's just given his all, and he directed it too. So you know, obviously, this is a story that meant a lot to him to be able to do. Sadly, it didn't do well at the box office. I think this is one that I think should have done better. But when you watch the movie, I think it's kind of clear that this was for a certain audience only so it's probably the title if they if they named it something better like a dude hunts elephants they might have gotten <laughs> i would see a movie called a dude hunts elephants why they just call it the african king i <laughs> uh, might have been a little on the nose yeah and also very very problematic henry oh my number eight film i'm probably not going to talk too much about because I, while i do like it i probably don't like it as much as someone as other people on this list, maybe. I don't know. It might be a sweep. Let's find out. Uh, my number eight is... Goodbye. Oh, a shell shot. That's expected. 
Emergencies. We are in a code yellow. Instrument landing system is down. Backup systems won't come up. Every system's dead. These guys shut us down. Attention all controllers. We have a code red alert. We just bought maybe two hours. After that, those planes low on fuel aren't going to be circling. They're going to be dropping on the White House lawn. I want every officer recalled and assembled in body armor with full weaponry in the motor pool in five minutes. It's time to kick it. Alan's what team's gone. Well, maybe they're just a little bit more creative than you think. Start looking for a new miracle. Who the hell is this? We don't need a loose cannon on this deck. You get the hell out of my office before I throw you out of my damn airport. You're the wrong guy in the wrong place at the wrong time. Story of my life. They say lightning doesn't strike twice. Did I spend Christmas last year? They were wrong. McLean? Is this what you were expecting? Nah, this is just the beginning. Bruce Willis, Die Hard 2. Die Harder. <laughs> Greatest movie title, maybe, <laughs> except for Pop Star Never Stop. <laughs> never Stop, Never Stopping. <laughs> it's like... Uh, yeah, so my number eight is Die Hard 2. Uh, I think we could all agree it's not as good as Die Hard 1. Um, but uh, it's still, I think, in my mind, it's my second favorite of the Die Hard franchise, I think. I mean, third, really? three is a close second, but like... Uh, Controversial choice. But like, I think Die Hard 2, I might like a little bit more than Die Hard 3. Um, but, I mean, I love it. I mean, it's, I think it's a lot of fun. I think it's, def- I think it's a really good follow-up to Die Hard 1, where it's like, slightly bigger scale but still sticking to the we're in one place kind of gimmick of it yeah uh i think it's very well done uh and uh yeah i'm sure i'm sure since i swept someone they also have or pro- they're probably more passionate about it than i am honestly and so they can probably talk more about when we get there but uh uh but yeah i like it a lot and i respect the person that hasn't hired me so it just for me it's a number eight and nothing higher like i said uh rennie harlan liked my tweet about it so it's not on my list, so at least it's on your list. So when Rennie Harlan listens to this episode, he's going to say it's on there, um, and twice, you know, twice. And he's actually—I mean, he's a—he's a fun director. I mean, um, he's a director of such classics as Cutthroat Island. Too. God, that movie's awesome. <laughs> Underappreciated. Um. All right. Uh, my number seven, I think, might be a sweep. I don't know. Got to press the button to I find guess, out. I guess we're fixing to find out. Uh, anyways, before I guess I should. Um, I, I this is a fun movie. Um, I, I like buddy movies, and when they team up to fight things, I really like it. Perfection, a scorched outpost in the middle of nowhere. You know how close I am to leaving this place right now. How close? Maybe that's why Val and Earl decided to leave town. Hey, hold up! That's Edgar Deans. They just picked the wrong day to do it. Jeez. You guys better get the hell out of here. There's a killer on the loose. Who could be doing it? Is that a snake? I'll give you boy five dollars for this. Twenty. That's how they get you. 
there under the ground. What the hell are those things? How could they eat a whole station wagon? But where do they come from? I vote for outer space. No way these are local boys. You see, they're headed right for us. No Richter scale can measure it. They're coming! No scientist can explain it. Bert, they're under the ground! You didn't get penetration even with the elephant gun. Run, run! And no one knows what to call it. Megaworms or suckers or, or suckoids. Now, this valley is just one long smorgasbord. Now, it's up to Val and Earl to save the world. That's one big mother. Who died and made you Einstein? And they know just what to do. Flip for it. Damn. Kevin Bacon. Fred Ward. Tremors. Uh, my, yeah, my number seven is Tremors. It's a, it was a favorite growing up. Um, Where is everybody? You know, it's... Yeah, everyone's like, fuck this place. Um, <laughs> Tremors drove everybody away. Um, yeah, this, this is how far we can get before everybody needs to go to the bathroom. Yeah. Uh, Tremors is Kevin Bacon and Fred Ward as two bumbling idiots in New Mexico, and then these big worms go through their town and eat everybody. Uh, they're um, Kevin, graboids, not worms. Yeah, graboids is right. Um, Kevin Bacon's really great in it. I'm always shocked that this movie's PG-13 because there's lots of cussing and there's lots of violence in it. Well, and just, like, I guess in my head it's more, like, violent and scary than that. Yeah, that's what I mean. It, I mean, it's all it when I was, you know, I don't know, 10 or 11 or something like that. And I, I remember, like, when the lady gets eaten in a car. Like, all, all of that was really scary to me. Well, and remember at the end, too, the graboid explodes on the ground. Um, so, yeah. No, I've always liked this movie as um, a kid. Uh, it was one of those movies that was PG-13, but it had lots of naughty language in it. And lots of uh, violence. and But, you know, my mom had to work two jobs. So she says, oh, it's a PG-13 movie. That's all right if they watch this by themselves. And um, <laughs> my mom is none the wiser. Number seven, Tremors. Brad? Ooh. I don't remember. Uh, well, Brad is remembering his list. Um, you can uh, follow us at Real Nerds on Twitter. You can like us on Facebook. Mm, yes. Okay, I got it. Okay. <laughs> um... Yeah, I actually like. I'm fine with this movie. <laughs> <laughs> A ringing endorsement. I betrayed my wife. I betrayed myself. I killed men. And I ordered men to be killed. I ordered the death of my brother. He injured me. I killed my mother's son. I killed my father's son. We've sold the casinos. All businesses having to do with gambling. We have no interests or investments in anything illegitimate. Don Corleone. The Corleone family partners with the Pope. They may cry blasphemy. This is business. 
I know you're into banks on Wall Street, but everyone knows you're the final word. You're like the Supreme Court. All I want to do is protect you from these guys, and your lawyers can't do that. If I say we make them dead, you give me the order, I'll take care of it. I command this family, right or wrong. You know, Michael, now that you're so respectable, I think you're more dangerous than you ever were. Our true enemy has not yet shown his face. If every drug pusher in this room were to drop dead, I would be the only one alive. Well, you tell him for me, he can live or he can die, you understand? Will you shut up? Will you shut up? You're the only one left in this family with my father's strength. I'm a Corleone. You can save the Corleone family. I'll help you. The ultimate story of family. Come at me as you will. And loyalty. Give up my daughter. Power. And violence. Just when I thought I was out. The Godfather, Part 3. When they come, they'll come at what you love. Uh, yeah, so I haven't seen it in a while, so I might be wrong, but uh, <laughs> what I remember of it, you know, I, you know, it, it's different. It's, you know, what, 20 years uh, in this like story, yeah. even, uh, and almost 20 years since number two like was even filmed uh so like filmmaking like the film quality looks different uh the style's different but i don't know it, it feels like a normal extension of the other two movies to me um and it was i don't know if francis ford coppola is retroactively saying this to save face but he envisioned as the death of michael corleone like a completely separate movie um which i can kind of see but um i still think like advertising as the godfather part three is way better um, to get people in the theater for it. So, um, but yeah, it's, it's, uh, Michael Corleone 20 years later trying to grapple with the guilt of killing his brother. Um, spoilers <laughs> and, um, all the repercussions of trying to go legit. You know, I've never been a fan of the Godfather movies. Yeah. I can never get into them. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I think they're, they're, they're one of those things where like you watch it and you can appreciate like this, is this is a, well-made thing i just don't like i don't have a passion for it yeah i'm in your boat too james yeah i'm the same way i mean they're they're well made and they're well acted yeah but it's not i mean actually i don't own any of them because it's not something i would go huh i'm gonna pull this off and watch three hours of like talking yeah it's not a fun time you know and and i've got i've got great dramatic movies that i still get engrossed in and i think are are a fun time um and some of that is just the gangsterness of it, right? Like you, when you end up with a movie where you you don't really get to like anybody, in my opinion, um, mm-hmm. it just makes it it makes it tough to like when you know really have something to root for. Um, mm-hmm. But it, I, I think they're they're really well made, well acted, well written movies. Um, and the first one's got some amazing stuff in it. Yeah, I'm not passionate about them either, but there is yeah. a certain artistry to them that's impressive. Yeah. And oh yeah. Um, and for 1990, this is the seventh. 
uh, most artistic movie I could find. So <laughs> there's a there's a there's a story there that's interesting. I just feel yeah. like it doesn't always come together the way it should. But like I've thought about this recently. Like it's trying to tackle with Michael Corleone coming to terms with things, and I feel like The Irishman does that ten times better as a gangster. Reckoning movie, but yeah, but that's a TV show, so you can't compare it to this because these are movies. James, you cannot call the Irishman TV show when we're talking about the fucking Godfather. Godfather's Uh, as long. (laughs) Fair. Yeah. The problem with the Godfather movies is that the hype kind of precedes them, at least like culturally. Like the first one is number two on IMDb, and the second one is number three. So you just. All these people who just love the Godfather movies to death, mm. um, and they're just like, "That's the best movie ever." And then when you actually sit down and watch it after hearing it for years and years, you're just like, "It's fine." They're the intellectual version of Scarface, mm. like like <laughs> smarter, I'm, smarter, I'm, more grown-up adult men behave the same way with with the Godfather, where they want to quote like, "Go to the mattresses" and stuff like that. The same way that like teenage boys with poster space really like <laughs> quoting Ma- Scarface, you know? The other thing about it, too, is that, like, if you look at how, how each country approaches the gangster film, they all approach it in a very different way. Like, the United States gangster film is extremely different than the Italian gangster film. And how yeah. Francis Coppola is approaching this trilogy is like an Italian gangster film, which is a lot more serious, a lot less fun, a lot more political-driven... So when you when people eventually see Godfather, they usually see it after watching like Scorsese stuff and Scarface and that kind of thing. So they go in expecting an American gangster film, but they get like really just a political kind of film about gangsters, which is not what people usually want. And yeah. so, yeah, it, it's one of those things where like if you watch Godfather and then you go watch Road to Perdition, you get two similar things, but mm-hmm. one of them has soul. Uh, and the other one kind of doesn't. Um, yeah. That's like the, the the way I could compare it. There's a, a Toni Morrison quote that I use a lot where she talks about one of her books touching people but never moving them. And like there's this intangible thing where you can see something and it's great, but it doesn't la- it doesn't like stick with you. And that's where The Godfather lands for me. It's like you watch it and you're like, oh, this is amazing, but I don't give a shit. You yeah. Know? Um, so anyway. And also like the 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 mobster story has so been repeated throughout movies since then it's it's been diluted so yeah the sto- like i wouldn't say this is a great story either it's it's derivative so karen number seven all right my number seven is a sequel to a movie i've never seen Los Angeles, 1997. It's the hottest summer on record. Pollution is choking the city. The gangs control the streets. It has not been a nice day! As bad as things are, they're about to get worse. Much worse. Whoever killed him is going to pay. I'm going to finish it. It has almost no weight. But it cuts like steel. Incredible. Whoever did this took out four men armed with machine guns by hand. You don't know what you're dealing with. Other world. 
physical life forms drawn by heat and conflict. He's on safari. Lions. Tigers. The bears. Oh my. Gary Busey, Ruben Blades, Maria Conchita Alonso, Bill Paxton. Predator 2. He's in town with a few days to kill this Thanksgiving. Surprisingly, not on my list, Corinne. Again, I've seen 10 movies from 1990. Oh, no, I'm saying, don't be defense. I said it's not on my list, surprisingly, because I like this movie. Mm-hmm. Well, I guess you just like other movies from 1990 more, and that's fair. Um, But yeah, I mostly put it on the list uh, because I like Danny Glover. Like I said, I watched Angels in the Outfield a lot as a kid, and um, he's in that, and I really, you know, like him in Angels in the Outfield. So watching this, you know, a couple weeks ago was kind of fun. And, you know, admittedly, like the subway scene is probably the best part of the movie for me because I feel like Mm. it's really well shot, and it's like there's like it's paced well that there's like tension to it and you kind of don't know like who's gonna live and who's gonna die because you feel like everyone could die at any point so that's kind of a cool sequence and also for me not having seen the first predator I think it does a good job of cluing you in on how the predators work and how this world works and although maybe like the one thing I didn't kind of get was the whole self-destruct sequence Cause I don't know what, I I don't know what he thought. Just, yeah. When that happened, I was like, I don't know what he's doing, but okay. And then something happened and he gets his arm chopped off or something. I don't remember. But, and then when we did it on the podcast, Brad or someone was like, oh yeah, the self-destruct sequence. I'm like, oh, that's what that was. (laughs) Forgot about that. So, but yeah, I think it, it, it does a good job of like giving you a, a taste of how this works, but without feeling like over expository or under expository so and that's kind of hard for a sequel to do sometimes i guess now you mentioned it they don't really audiences in but you don't want to like bore the people who've already seen the first one i guess now you mentioned it there's no one really around explaining the predator like in in scenes you know yeah like hey remember <laughs> in the jungle there's that guy who was invisible like no one does that yeah. in, the, in that movie is, which is which is nice uh i I love the Predator. They they show you a lot of like the Predator's abilities and like what he does and how he kind of operates. So, and then by the time that the Gary Busey character shows up, you're kind of like, oh, okay, yeah, that's pretty much what I thought. Yeah, I love. I mean, like I've said, Predator is my favorite Schwarzenegger film. Um, and I just I love the design of the Predator, and I think it's like a, a cool character. I just wish there was a movie as good as the first one with him in it. Yeah. I I have fun with all the movies. I mean, I'll be, I I just, yeah, it's just, they're not, I, maybe it's because Arnold Schwarzenegger's not in them. I always thought it'd be cool if he came back as the predator hunter, you know what I mean? And when they show up in, he'd be like, uh, it basically be Terminator. uh, What's the last one that just came out? Predator. No, the Terminator, uh, dark, dark, fate. dark fate, except <laughs> I'm a Genesis. I know me too. Uh, but Arnold Schwarzenegger is going around the world and hunting down predators. I think that'd be sweet. They should do like a apocalyptic future where 
like the aliens have laid waste to humanity. Oh, that'd be sweet. Um, or go to the Predator homeworld. The humans are the predators. Oh, no, they should do a Jason oh, X style thing where the humans are on a spaceship and then they get attacked by, like, they, they have a run in with a predator on a spaceship and the predator is hunting them. So it's like, it's like Alien, the first one, but with a predator. <laughs> you just described Alien. <laughs> yeah, but this would be with a predator. Uh, if 20th film corporation or 20th century wants to contact us or disney disney yeah. yeah i have lots of ideas for predator yeah we can pitch you like six different ways you can make six more movies i have a lot of ideas PG for predators. Predators. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you're one ugly person <laughs> but what happens when the predators finally met his match in his little five-year-old kid <laughs> get ready for little predator <laughs> <laughs> no little little pred yeah l-i-l <laughs> Little Brad, <laughs> I'd watch that. <laughs> it's because this, like, the 1990 was the year of the Down Under movies. They should have set this in Australia and just do like Australians v Predators. Heck yeah, <laughs> Crocodile Dundee versus Predator. I'd see that. <laughs> oh man! And then the Predator would like make his you know gauntlet come out, and he'd say, "That's not a knife. This is a knife." <laughs> it writes itself. <laughs> Fucking writes itself. Then the Predator uses the day, and it's hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> a car? What's a car? Yeah. Yep. Anyway. James? Cool. Oh, yeah, that's me. Uh, so my number seven, uh, I'll probably get some flack for putting this on my list, but what I will say is if you put on your 1990 hat when you watch this and really, like, forget about all the stigma and all of the, like, cultural stuff that's happened afterwards um, and just watch this movie for being a weird artistic different kind of a story that is actually kind of charming and fun uh, I, I think you'll realize this is this is still a, a good fun movie and, and actually has some, some importance and is worth putting on a list so my number seven is this oh, shell shock Something wrong with him. 
From Tim Burton comes the most incredible tale of a most unusual character. Edward Scissorhands. Hold me. I mean, it is a movie that, like, especially if you've never seen it, is definitely worth checking out. I think you just gotta, like, remove yourself from the 30 years of Tim Burton-esque that comes out of it. Um, because I think that adds a lot of, like, stigma and weight to something that otherwise should just be enjoyed as, like, a a, a weird little fairy tale-esque kind of movie. It's like, a, it's like if you smashed a fairy tale and Frankenstein into one thing. Um, so yeah, I mean, I think it's good. I think Johnny Depp is good. I think the the style and stuff is all very weird and interesting. And then the, the actual heart of the movie is pretty good. So yeah, Edward Scissorhands. My apologies to whoever I swept. Yeah, you totally swept. Not me, because that movie sucks. <laughs> oh, it doesn't suck. It just sucks that Tim Burton got stuck there. Like yeah. came up came up with this wild hair and was like, ah, I don't know how to do anything else. Oops. Hmm. Yeah. yeah. Big that, that's the problem with that movie. movie. Yeah. Anyway, uh, cool. Uh, Zach, number seven. My number seven is a movie about jazz. I want a man who knows what he wants. I know what I want. My music. Everything else is secondary. What you and I do is not make love. <laughs> what would you call it, Dad? It's definitely not making love. You ever heard of the Mo Better? Mo what? Mo Better makes it Mo Better. What about Delvis? I like her too. I like women. When you say it was annoying in one shot, they wear the same dress and the same day and see each other. <laughs> like it or not, you're a dog. You're a good doggy, but you're a dog nonetheless. Get off! What did you call me? Blake, how in the hell can you call me by her name? Boy, they got all kind of people in this club tonight. Look at that little ugly guy at the bar, huh? Hey, fella. <laughs> Trying to sneak in here in the color section. I see you. He's a horrible manager. Everybody can see that but you. The midget should go, Blake. You know my name is Giant. Every night we go over this. Look, Giant is my friend. Giant? I mean, that's a joke. Is that a joke? It's a joke. We couldn't manage a little league team. Minor league. You keep coming up short. <laughs> no, 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 it's because she's white. Is she white? Because she's white. Yes. Oh. Yeah, she's a nun. Won't give me none, ain't had none. Told me she didn't, she didn't need none. And since my sweetie left me hollow, well, it ain't the same old place. Pirates are playing the Mets in a doubleheader. Give me the Pirates in both games and Mets need some more black ball players. What are you gambling again? How much you owe? Don't break him. Let's give him a break. Break his legs, his arms. Everybody's deaf. People Brother, ain't nobody listening. People you got listening. a voice to my voice. Ah, well, yeah, boy. You put them lips on the trumpet. Academy Award winner Denzel Washington in a new film from Spike Lee. We thank you for coming because you didn't have to come. You could have stayed home and uh, watched Arsenio Hall or something. 
Mo' Better Blues. Yeah. Cool. Um, oh, go ahead. Oh, no, you're good. Oh, sorry. So Mo' Better Blues is um, obviously it's Spike Lee, as we saw in the trailer. Um, Denzel Washington, Giancarlo Esposito, John Turturro all in it. Robin Harris in his final role. Um, I'm a Spike Lee fan. This is a film of his that I appreciate on a couple different levels because it, it takes place around um, uh, uh, the decisions of a jazz, of a jazz trumpeter um, played by Denzel Washington and just focuses on <laughs> friendship, loyalty. And um, it's, it's a, it's a film that I appreciate from this latter era of jazz that I had an even bigger appreciation for after rewatching Ken Burns jazz last year. Um, I think that Spike Lee does a good job at kind of creating this world of jazz that doesn't get talked about in film that much. Um, so, but anyway, um, I appreciate what he's doing with the film to just kind of tell this story of a different era of jazz and also um, definitely ha ties in a lot to his father who was the composer on a lot of his early films. This is the last film that Bill Lee scored and Bill Lee played, um, played jazz with a lot of other artists and different as a backup musician and, um, I think his score is fantastic and it lends an authenticity to the film. Um, it's not the Spike Lee movie I go back to the most, but I really do appreciate what's being done in it. So yeah, my number cool. seven. I think it's a very, I think it's a very underrated Spike Lee film. And yeah. if anyone wants to start watching Spike Lee, the key to watching Spike Lee is to watch the Denzel Washington ones first because they're, he usually evens the playing field pretty well. Yeah. And it's, and it's a film that I think like, obviously Spike Lee's had a long career where, um, certain films obviously get more attention than others. This one just got released on Blu-ray for the first time via Kino Lober. So if you have the income, like, or whatever, it's pretty inexpensive. I, I would pick it up and give it a shot. Um, this and Crooklyn, which comes out in 93, I believe, are really good, underrated, like, overlooked films of his. So, yeah. Yeah. His, his entire cool. 90s filmography is really interesting, but yeah. it's never really, like, analyzed, which I think is interesting. Outside of outside of Malcolm X, but well, yeah, obviously, isn't I mean you could do you could analyze his entire collaboration with Denzel Washington really, and it'd be really interesting. So exactly. So, but yeah, that's my number seven. Mo Betta Blues. Cool. All right, my number seven is this film. Welcome to Hollywood. Everybody comes to Hollywood got a dream. What's your dream? When I was a little girl, I would pretend I was a princess trapped in the tower, and then this knight on a white horse would come charging up and rescue me. Could you tell me how to get to Beverly Hills? Sure. For five bucks. You can't charge me for directions. I can do anything I want to, baby. I am lost. All right, okay. You change for 20? For 20, I'll show you a person. Wow. Impressed? You kidding me? I come here all the time. Well, color me happy. There's a sofa in here for two. Close your mouth, dear. Who is this girl here? Does she work? She's in sales. Touchstone Pictures presents the story of a date. Isn't a date, it's business. That led to a deal. I have a business proposition for you. I'm going to be in town until Sunday. I'd like you to spend the week with me. <laughs> That's becoming a dream come true. Time to shop. Get rid of your gum. All right. I don't believe you did that. You're going to be spending an obscene amount of money in here. So we're going to need a lot more help sucking up to us because that's what we really like. Oh. You understand me? Sir, if I may say so, you're in the right store and the right city, for that matter. They're two people who have no business being together. Everybody is trying to land him. Well, I'm not trying to land him. I'm just using him for sex. 
just doing a little business. The company I'm buying this week, I'm getting for the bargain price of about one billion. A billion dollars? Your folks must be really proud, huh? Everything was going their way. Well done! Well done! Whoa, whoa, whoa! Until... I don't want you to go. You hurt me. Yes. Don't do it again. Something unexpected happened. What the hell is wrong with you this week? You fell in love with him? Did I not teach you anything? Look, I'm not stupid, okay? I'm... I'm not in love with him. I can find you an apartment and get you a car. I want more. I want the fairy tale. I thank you. You're a very special woman. Your dream come Touchstone Pictures presents Richard Gere. So what happened after? Climbed up the tower and rescued her. Julia Roberts. She rescues him right back. Pretty woman. Maybe you guys could, like, um, get a house together. Buy some diamonds. Oh! <laughs> uh, yeah, so my number seven is uh, Pretty Woman. Uh, I am too low on caffeine to defend that. Um, <laughs> um, uh, I love this movie well, For, here's the thing every 90s romantic comedy is problematic this yeah. one is surprisingly not as problematic as you would expect for a film about prostitutes it's very sex positive which is, for, which is very rare especially in this era uh, and, yeah. very, and it's very it's, does, it does, doesn't really give that negative of a view of sex workers which is very rare um, but yeah I mean I think it's good I think it's very charming I think the two of them clearly have chemistry uh, and it's it's very much a 1990s romantic comedy, uh, and that's all I'm going to say on it. And I'm going to go make some coffee uh, anyway. Brian, <laughs> what's your number six? Oh, thanks, Henry. Um, my number six is by the greatest horror director of all time. I'm watching a trailer. Somewhere in the city, a brilliant scientist is on the verge of an amazing discovery. The cells, they're holding. They're stable. Finally, we can replace damaged skin tissue. Then... No foolish heroics, if you please. destroyed everything he had all that he loved everything that he was now crime has a new enemy and justice has a brand new face i was afraid that you wouldn't want me anymore of course i still want you the good news is that i know who's behind our little troubles of late finish it Look about you! It's all mine! He has the power to look like any man. Let's do a both us of witches! But he is unlike any man. I gotta tell you something about me. He's a cockroach. You think you're killing? 
and he pops up someplace else. In the darkest hour. Julie, who's the real monster here? There's a light that shines on every human being. But one. From director Sam Raimi. Darkman. Uh, yeah, my number six is Darkman. Um, because they said, Sam Raimi, you can't make the shadow. And Sam Raimi said, okay, I'll make a better one. <laughs> and he did. And it's an R-rated version of the shadow. Uh, Liam Neeson stars in it as a scientist who creates skin graft, basically, and gets blown up and becomes uh, the hero Darkman. And, yeah, it's awesome. A lot of trademark Raimi in it. Um, in the sweeper uh, clip that Brad showed, uh, to me, that's trademark Raimi, where it's focusing uh, really intently on moving, movement and zooming in and stuff. And, uh, yeah, it's a fun movie. Liam Neeson is really over the top in it. I don't know. Is this Liam Neeson's, like, big coming out movie? Because I know the movie made like $60 million and it shocked everybody. And that's why he was able to make Army of Darkness. Yeah. I I don't know if that's the. I I know he had other ones. I think, well, obviously Schindler's List brings him to the forefront, but. But Schindler's List was after this, though. No, this is before. It was after. 93. Yeah, Yeah, no. I said Schindler's List was after this, right? Yeah. 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 So this kind of made. I'm surprised it's this low on your list, but um, yeah. Yeah, I I hope that you're not not getting the sweeper tag for me because I'm not that much higher than you. <laughs> um, but no, I, it's a, it's a fun movie. Um, I just um, so, so this film explosion was actually kind of tough for me because when I, on my tenth one I was talking about how uh, you know it's childhood memories and I was really conflicted throughout the whole time I was making this list of how much I love this and how much it's a memory of growing up. And is it really as good as the movie should be? And so I uh, moved a lot. My list changed a lot. Um, and yeah. yeah. Yep. And that's why Dark Man is number six. Right on. Yeah. Cool. Corinne? Nope. Nope. Oh. We have our first repeat, and that's me. Oh. It skipped you. Yep, because we don't have to play that trailer. Okay. Because it's Sorry. a repeat. Uh, my number two is Die Hard 2. Um, number six is Die Hard 2? Number six is Die Hard 2, yep. Um, and yeah, it's, it's um, it might be my least favorite of the Die Hard movies, but for 1990, um, better than Godfather 3. <laughs> <laughs> and you're not wrong. Yeah, so... Uh, I just want to make sure you you don't mean... You mean, like, you're forgetting that there's a Die Hard 5 and that it's absolutely unwatchable trash. Oh, I did forget about that. Thank okay, you. Okay, I just want to make sure. <laughs> Second worst. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah. Because I'm in the same boat. I think Die Hard 2 is my second least favorite Die Hard movie. Um, so, But nothing can compare to a good day to Die Hard in terms of trash. Oh, my God. It's just offensive. Like, why didn't why didn't they just make his daughter the hero of the next one? Like, it was so obvious. Oh, my James, God. James, James, he's just on vacation. <laughs> oh, wait. Rennie Harlan's listening to this. This is actually a really great Yeah. It's my dude. favorite one. Yeah, Live, live Free to Die Hard is a superhero movie, Henry. And like you can't watch Live Free or Die Hard and talk about it as a Die Hard movie because okay. it's not the same thing. Okay. It's a movie where he's where he surfs on the back of a Harrier, and I'm, that's I've been a, off for like five years, and I'm just now discovering that you like this movie, and so it's kind of shocking to me. Yeah, <laughs> Live, Live Free or Die Hard is a great time where 
where at least Bruce Willis is still having fun and making a fun movie, but it is not really a diehard movie. Understood. I it accept. Is, it is a superhero movie. Yep. Yeah. He kills a helicopter with a car. Yep. Because he was out of bullets. Right. And but that's fun. Yep. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah, and even though this is like my fourth favorite one, it's still like two, three, and four are pretty close, you know, in regard. Sorry, Stanley's like fucking around the window. <laughs> um yeah, but you're right. Like, yeah, the f- Live Freer is is more of a superhero movie. I I think the with a Vengeance, the story is more interesting because um, it's not a diehard script. Um, and then, uh, yeah, this one is, is you know it's it's good, but it's it's kind of more of the same. They just changed out the location, and um, they literally like one year later, he's doing the same thing over Christmas. So it's a little redundant. Yep. Cool. Karen? All right, my number six is a movie I've seen. All Matthew Quigley did was answer a help wanted ad. But a few surprises were waiting for Quigley down under. There was no mention of his friendly co-workers. Is everybody in this country as butt ugly as you three? Or that he'd get an assistant. Look out, Nothing about the transportation problem. Are we lost? Nope. I know exactly where we are. We're lost. The unusual local inhabitants. The extraordinary cuisine. I don't eat things that are still moving. You gonna shoot it first? Or the extra duties. You can take me if you want to, Roy. Yeah. Next time she talks like that, go all over the dress. Worst of all, his employer turned out to be somewhat moody. You could call it that. But Quigley's about to teach him a lesson in labor relations. That man knocks me out of my own house. Don't worry, Roy. Everything's going to turn out just fine. Sorry, Roy. My name ain't Roy. It's Matthew. Quigley. Matthew Quigley is really beginning to annoy me. Tom Selleck, Laura San Giacomo, Alan Rickman, from the director of the Emmy Award-winning Lonesome Dove, Quigley, Down Under. All right, so my number six is Quigley Down Under. Because why not? Alan Rickman and Tom Selleck in a movie. Mm. Only yep. thing, really, the only thing I remember about it is like Alan Rickman just being awesome and Tom Selleck and the lady character adopting an Aboriginal child. <laughs> I, I saw it like 12 years ago, and that's yeah. about all I remember. I'm putting that quote on the poster. <laughs> yeah. I saw it 12 years ago. <laughs> Fun fact, uh, yeah. my name is almost Tom because I was supposed to be named after Tom Selleck. And so... Really? Aww. Tom Jarvis. Just imagine. Tommy Jarvis. You could have been a Friday the 13th character, Henry. Yeah, I, <laughs> I remember Quigley Down Under being pretty good. Um, it's, it's better than High Road to China. 
So is there another Quig like is there like a original Quigley movie and this was the sequel to it? No, I don't think so. No. It was just called Quigley Down Under. Yeah, because he's an American in Australia. Yeah, I and guess he's a little Quigley. But it's not like he had a standalone movie before this called Quigley or something. Quigley goes to Japan. It was called Quigley Goes Bananas, and that was <laughs> Quigley Goes to Jail. Yep. <laughs> Quigley Wiggly. Quigley goes to Africa. <laughs> oh, we, we we do not talk about Ernest goes to Africa on this podcast. <laughs> oh, that's right. That is a real thing. Yeah, that's a thing. No, it's not. Hey, speaking of a thing, James, what's your number six? My number six is uh, oh, my number six is a oft overrated film sort of so i think i've got it kind of in the right spot here um really important but one of those movies that now when you go back um i don't think is as good uh so anyway here we go my number six is this thing right here this one boop Uh-oh. oh hell yeah hey james i think we're on the same page here oh because i said overrated so you know what movie i'm talking about no no from the makers of blood simple and raising arizona a world where nothing is what it seems to be. Leo, is he still the boss? The day I back down from a fight, Casper's welcome to the rackets. This town and my place at the table. Casper, can he muscle in? I'm sick of taking a strap from you, Leo. And I'm sick of a high hat. Tom, would he sell out a friend? You shouldn't be confronting Jenny Casper. That's what I've been trying to tell you. I can still trade body blows with any man in this town. Except you, Tom. And Verna. Verna, is she Leo's girl? What did you tell Leo? I told him you were a tramp and he should dump you. I want everybody to be friends. You, me, Leo, the Dane. You know who I am? The Dane. Has he got it figured? You dumping Leo for the guy who put a bullet in your brother? Bernie, will he turn the tables? Don't smart me. I want to watch you squirm. I want to see you sweat a little. All you gotta do to show your friend is give me Bernie Burnbaum. Tommy, you can't do this. You don't bump guys. It's not right, Tom. I can't do Two of us have faced worse odds. Never without reason. I thought you said you didn't care about Leo. I said we were thrilled. It's not the same thing. I'm talking about friendship. I'm talking about character. I'm talking about ethics. Albert Finney, Gabriel Byrne, Marsha Gay Harden, John Turturro. I can't die. I'm in the woods. Like a dumb animal. I can't. Die. Are you still alive? Expect me to believe you. It's you all over town. Alive and no heart. No one is what they seem to be. Hope is down. Black is white. At Miller's Crossing. Uh, so yeah, Miller's Crossing, and I, I talk about it that way because I think, or as it being overrated, mostly just because I think people talk about it like it's, you know, 
one of the the great coen brothers films and i think that the problem is is that it is one of the great coen brothers films in 1990 um but when you kind of look at it in retrospect they've they've taken a lot of the great stuff they did here and now done it a lot better in a lot of other movies um yeah. and so now when you go back it's a little underwhelming but i think overall still a great script amazing performances really beautiful film um i mean i own it for a reason even if it's not something that i go back to very often so that's why it's you know here sort of middling in a number six the only reason it gets overrated as i say is because it's made by the coen brothers so you know it, everybody just assumes that it's one of the best films ever made um but yeah i think it's i think it's wonderful i think people should check it out um it's uh, the best gangster film of the year yeah i'd agree with that yeah I don't know about that. Well, it's well, no, no, it's not the greatest gangster movie. It is the best gangster film of 1990. No, but anyway, so yeah, no, um, I'm on board with James with regards to the review. Uh, it's a film that I know he's laughing at me because he knows what's coming. Um, but uh, no, it's by two brothers who've never made a bad movie. Uh, and uh, my my impression of Miller's Crossing has always been that it for me as a 30s gangster movie from the Coen brothers, it doesn't quite hit the level I'd want it to hit, but I still fucking love it. Um, mm-hmm. I think everybody's giving their A game in this movie. I think it's, you know, it's visually sp- fantastic. Um, I like the story, like as ga- as James was saying over the trailer, it's a gangster movie with heart. And, um, and there's like a surprising amount of like emotion throughout this movie interspliced with all the violence that I supremely appreciate. Um, I think that Gabriel Byrne is an actor that I wish I'd see more of, and he's fantastic in this film. Um, but the imagery that I remember mainly from it is uh, Albert Finney with a fucking machine gun to the song Danny Boy. Like, how can you not think that's incredible? Um, and uh, Totoro's fantastic. His yeah. character very similar to what we've seen later in films like silence where it's a character who just keeps, keeps uh, betraying and despite the chances he's given and um, that when it, when he gets his comeuppance at the end, it's, it's astoundingly fantastic. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, I, I mean, I, there's a, there's a part of me that thinks that this film has I think there should be further dissection of it, but I also feel that, like James said, there's other Coen Brothers films that take ideas from this and then do them better later down the line. Um, And also, we're not doing a regular show this week, but uh, Sam Raimi passed away in this movie. He was uh, out to stop some gangsters and got blown up outside of a gangster hideout. So sorry, (laughs) Ryan, RIP Sam Raimi, because he makes a cameo in this movie and it's a lot of fun. Yeah. So yeah, that's my number six too. Cool. Henry? Uh, my number six, I, I, this has to be a sweep, I imagine. Um, but I like it. And as I'm looking at my six through one, it probably should have been probably higher. But whatever, this is my number six. Oh, shell shock. <laughs> These are great. Quaid. Cut. Get ready for a surprise! We can't let him run around, he knows too much. They've got your bug. I get a lock. 
And the bug's in your skull. Take this thing out of the case and stick it up your nose. Don't worry, it's self-guiding. Got him. I lost him. You got a lot of nerve showing your face around here. Look who's talking. You erased your identity and implanted a new one. If I'm not me, who the hell am I? He's got a hologram! Welcome to Johnny Cab. Drive! Where can I take you tonight? <laughs> Please fasten your seatbelt. I want Clay delivered alive for reimplantation. That's for making me come to Mars. You wouldn't hurt me. After all, we're married. Consider that a divorce. You enjoyed the ride. All right, well, cool. you know, like I said, this could be higher. It very well could be. As I'm looking at my list, I'm like, yeah, yeah. Uh, but it's good. It's like a lot of fun. Uh, this is one of the films that I watched for this film explosion because I've never seen it. Uh, oh, wow. Yeah, and it's a lot of fun. It's, uh, I mean, I've not seen most of Arnold's filmography until this quarantine happened. And so uh, <laughs> it's been a lot of fun getting into old Arnold doing Arnold shenanigans. This is him in space. And it's just, you know, just a fun old time. I'm, I'm just having a grand old time with Arnold this uh, quarantine. And so, yeah, Total Recall. I'm sure some of you are going to talk more extensively about it and more passionately about it. Uh, I am dead inside, and so I'm not going to. Um, but it's a great movie. I love it. Yeah, it's good. I uh, I had to dissect this film for an action film theory class at uh, film school because it was one of the uh, films they showed us. And yeah, it's a solid film. I like it. Uh, yeah, I'll talk about it later. But I really want to talk about Arnold Schwarzenegger again. I now, more than ever, to be a teacher requires patience, kindness, and understanding. Fortunately, Astoria Elementary has just hired such an individual. Arnold Schwarzenegger is Kindergarten Cop. Kindergarten is like the ocean. You don't want to turn your back on it. Don't worry. Everything is under control. No. He's an undercover detective. I assume you have some teaching experience. They wouldn't have sent me otherwise. Assigned to find a mother and son. Did Danny ever say what Crisp's wife looked like? Before a killer does. First, I would like to just get to know you. A male kindergarten teacher. That's unusual. He's been trained to shoot. What made you become a kindergarten teacher? He's been trained to fight. But there are some things... You mean you eat other people's lunches? Stop it! He's never been trained to handle. They're walking all over me. Listen, Kimball, you gotta handle this like any other police situation. You're going to be my deputy trainees. 
You're not gonna have your mommy's run behind you anymore and wipe your little douches. You're mine now. I'm not a policeman. I'm a princess. Arnold Schwarzenegger. You hit the kid, I hit you. <laughs> wow. In an Ivan Reitman film. Are you married, Mr. Kimball? No, I'm not. He's not married, Mom! Welcome to Astoria, the single parent capital of America. You got a little mustache. Must be from the milk. <laughs> Kindergarten Cop. Yeah, uh, Kindergarten Cop tells the story of Arnold Schwarzenegger, who becomes a kindergarten teacher because they have to find this bad dude's wife. But the female cop is originally supposed to be the teacher, but she gets sick, so Arnold has to go in. And then shenanigans happen. It's a cute movie. Um, lots of fun. And yeah, I, I just really enjoy it. Um, I keep on waiting for that assignment. I haven't gotten it yet. Um, maybe one day. <laughs> um, but it, it, it would have been appropriate this year when your son was in kindergarten. Right? That's what I'm saying. Um, but it's kind of fun seeing. I, I do like seeing lighthearted Schwarzenegger because um, he is really funny. And the movie's funny, too, because it starts off, I mean, you see in the trailer, he looks like the Terminator at the beginning of the movie, and he, you know, he even has his lines, I'm the potty poopa, and um, and then he becomes the goofy kindergarten teacher, and um, yeah, I just love the movie. Again, it's another one that I loved growing up, and I'm a big Schwarzenegger fan. He pops up later on my list again, too. Cool. Yep. He and that's... Go, I, keep, I always forget Ivan Reitman directed it, but man, he... he... He does a great job with it. Yep. He's fun. Brad, Brad, I'm guessing yours is a repeat? It is a repeat. I like Zach, uh, like Dick Tracy. Wow. So, wow. Tracy's yeah. cool. I think it's fun. Like, I think the production design is amazing. The makeup, like all the villain characters. Like, yeah, they're comic strip cartoony, but that's the point. Um, and, yeah, they're all, like, vastly unique and interesting. Um, Dick Van Dyke's in the movie. Ryan, he is um, still doesn't sell me on it, but uh, I, I I just think it's fun and um, yeah, I enjoy it. Cool. I think cool. that like Dick Tracy is in the same boat as like Speed Racer, where it's like it's a really good adaptation of what the source material is, but that doesn't necessarily translate to a great movie per se. And so, sure, so, for 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 uh, non fans especially, yeah, yeah, so. Um, Corinne, your number five is a repeat as well. Yeah, my number five is Hamlet. Oh, um, wow. I'm for Shakespearean adaptations, and it's been a while since I've seen the Mel Gibson version. And I know you guys are like, "Oh, it's like really short or whatever," but I mean, to be honest, sometimes that's fine because totally. especially for Hamlet, Hamlet is so fucking long. And it, I mean, even if you it's <laughs> like three hours. If you do every single scene, so uh, it's four. Uh, you know, Corinne, I'm going to take a shot on this because I don't want to fucking watch that other Hamlet film either. And so, like, no, I love the Toronto one. I really do. Um, I know the Mel Gibson one. Like the one scene I remember is um, when he stabs Polonius through the curtains. Because um, that, like, this is the one film adaptation that interprets Hamlet as like having an Oedipus complex because he like really 
gets up and up close and personal with his mom, who's played by Glenn Close, and that's really creepy. And I mean, I guess you know I don't like that interpretation of it, but it, it's something different. And you know, you know whatever it's Mel Gibson. You could say she got he got too close to Glenn. Yeah. Um, actually, the best part of this movie is the fact that it's referenced in Clueless, which makes me like yeah. it. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Fair. <laughs> so anyway, yeah, my number five is Hamlet. Cool. James, your number five is a repeat as well. Uh, it is. Yes, it is. My number five is uh, is Dark Man. Um, because yeah, I like I like Sam Raimi and I like Dark Man. Um, yeah. and that's a it's a fun movie. It's uh, you know, especially this time in superhero movies, like it's just a very different day. And even now, go back and watch this thing, and it doesn't feel like any other real you know, superhero-y movie, um, in my opinion. Like, it's just got a very different tone, so. Yeah, I agree. You know, Brad and I were talking that, you know, it's a small-budget movie, but Sam Raimi shoots it so well, it seems bigger than it is. Yeah. Totally, yeah. Yeah, I remember, like, when I first saw it, thinking I was about to watch, like, a kind of schlocky little, like, low-budget film, and then being pretty surprised. Like, I remember thinking, like, how how did they make this? You know, like, it doesn't... Especially when you do then compare it to like Alec Baldwin's The Shadow, which I I like a lot. Yep. Um, they're they're very different movies, and this feels actually like it has a bigger budget. Yep. Um, I was when we played the trailer, I was telling Ryan like the you know the part where he's swinging from the crane is something out of Last Action Hero, which takes yeah. place two years from now or three years from now, and then there's the semi and the helicopter in the tunnel that's out of Terminator Two, which is mm-hmm. next year. So yeah. It's ahead of its time. Yeah. Totally. Zach, number five. All right. If I have any sweep in this film explosion, this is probably it. But my number five is a Stephen King adaptation. You almost died. You have a compound fracture of the tibia in both legs, and the fibula in the right leg is fractured, too. And as soon as the roads open, I'll take you to a hospital. In the meantime, you've got a lot of recovering to do. There is nothing to worry about. You're gonna be just fine. I'm your number one fan. My name is Annie Wilkes. I think one of my clients, Paul Sheldon, might be in some kind of trouble. You mean Paul Sheldon, the writer? Well, everybody sure likes those misery books. They had it at the store, Paul. They said he checked out last Tuesday. Isn't that a little strange? I guess it was kind of a miracle you finding me. In a way, I was following you. You were following me? Oh, Paul, I've read everything of yours, but the misery novels. You must be a good man, or you could never have created such a wondrous, loving creature as Misery Chastain. Very kind. The presumption must now be that Paul Sheldon is dead. You dirty bird. How could you? Misery Chastain cannot be dead. Misery spirit is still alive. I don't want her spirit! I want her! And you murdered her! You don't think he's dead, do you? Don't even think about anybody coming for you because I never called them. Nobody knows you're here. And you better hope nothing happens to me. Because if I die, you die. I know you've been out. Is this what you're looking for? 
Eventually, you'll come to accept the idea of being here. Annie, whatever you think I'm not doing, please don't do it. Annie, for God's... Shh, darling. Trust me. God's sake! It's for the best. God, I love you. talent behind the scenes on that one holy cow so yeah i'm uh rather shocked that i'm the only one with this on my list then um but uh regardless i love misery um i think that uh it, it it's it's not a rob reiner movie i identify as a rob reiner movie right away um but uh i think everybody's giving their a game in this film obviously kathy bates is one of the scariest fucking people in an adaptation of a Stephen King movie, period. Um, Bill Goldman's screenplay is fantastic. I think there's a, it's, we were talking about it during the trailer and I think, yeah, it is one of the more refined adaptations of a Stephen King story um, than dealing with that fan obsession and that stalker mentality. I think it, I think it does a really good job at heightening the tension at every point. It's, it's a, it's a classic. I can't say enough about it. I, I know the first time I saw it, I was very, very, I was very disturbed by Kathy Bates's performance. And then as I've gone through the years, I really enjoy revisiting her for her performance. And, and James Conn's good in the movie too. Um, but, you know, Annie Wilkes is the star of this movie. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and Lauren Bacall's in it too. So that's a little fun for me as well. So yeah. But yeah, number five, Misery. Yeah. And like I said earlier, it's really hard for me. This list was hard because I was always torn between the great movies and my childhood love of movies. Um, and this was one of them. It was on my list for a long time. And then I, I figured it might be on your list at some point because of um, you, you praising it a lot recently when the Blu-ray came out. But um, yeah. but yeah, it, it's a film like I like the other four films above this, obviously more. But it's still a good film. You can't. Oh, that's not a, that's it's a great, great movie. movie. Yeah. So, yeah. Henry, number five. Uh, yeah. My number five. Um I'm kind of surprised it's not come up yet because I also don't imagine it. I don't really see it being on anyone's top five. But uh, my number five is a Christmas classic. Are you spoiling the end of Godfather Part 3, Brad? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> it's great because Mark- Michael Carleone just died. Oh, oh, shit. Shit. <laughs> <laughs> When the McAllister family left on their Christmas vacation... Did we miss the flight? No, you just made it. Yeah! They forgot one small thing. Have yourself... I have a terrible feeling. Did you lock up? Yeah. Do we set the timers on the lights? Mm-hmm. What else could we be forgetting? Kevin! Home alone. Police in the northern suburbs are on the lookout for a pair of burglars who are calling themselves the Wet Bandits. We know that you're in there. It's Santa Claus and his elf. Get off my property. 
is my house. I have to defend it. Where's your mother? My mom's in the car. Where's your father? He's at work. What about your brothers and sisters? I'm an only child. Where do you live? Can't tell you that. Why not? Because you're a stranger. He's a kid. I mean, what can a kid do to us? Kids are stupid. I know I was. You still are, Marv. This is it. get out on your runway and hitchhike. I am going to get home to my son. Yes! Where are you, you little creep? I'm gonna kill that kid! Why'd you take your shoes off? Why do you dress like a chicken? Gus Polinski, Polka King of the Midwest. If you have to get to Chicago, we'll gladly drive you. Hey, guys. Yesterday, he was just a kid. But tonight, he's a home security system. You guys give up, or you're thirsty for more? From John Hughes. You know, I got a feeling this is going to be your best Christmas ever. A family comedy without the family. <laughs> home Alone. Are you here all alone? I'm eight years old. You think I'd be here alone? I don't think so. Directed by Chris Columbus, coming November 16th. But yeah, that's my number five, uh, Home Alone. Uh, I'm I'm kind of surprised it's on your guys' list higher. It, this film screams a number seven to me for all of you. <laughs> Are you kidding? Oh you know, my I god! I feel like there's other films this year that you would have ranked higher than this. But okay, sure, I'm I'm happy with that. That's fine. You should have swapped it with Total Recall. <laughs> um. But yeah, it's it's great. This movie's amazing. It's a great Christmas movie. It's I watched it for Christmas this year and it was delightful. Joe yeah. Pesci and the other one are hilarious in this. Um, <laughs> the other Daniel Stern. Poor Daniel Stern. Stern. <laughs> <laughs> no, and uh, and uh, Macaulay Culkin is also good. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's great. If you look at the trivia, it's, the trivia for this film, if you look at IMDb, is also a lot of fun just to read through. There's a lot of really good in like trivia things in there that are a lot of fun huh. uh, and uh yeah it's just a lot of fun i enjoy it i'm just, i guess we'll talk about it a bit later <laughs> uh, cool yeah my number four is a repeat um my number four is teenage mutant ninja turtles yeah um <laughs> i've told this story many times and this might be someone's first podcast so i'll just briefly go over it uh my mom and dad got a divorce we know <laughs> A little bit uh, after this. Um, Are you okay? A couple years before this. Yeah, I'll live. <laughs> I'm so sad. Um, and so we were in school and we saw that this movie was coming out. And my mom picked my brothers and I out of school to go see it at the Green Mountain Theater. And, um, you know, got us popcorn and candy. Because and, we really wanted to see it. And it's one of the few memories I have of being from a divorced family. And but yeah, no, it's, it's, that's also a great memory that my mom would do that for us and take us out of school to go see a movie. Um, and you know, rewatching it, I, I don't think it's as good as I remembered it. Oh, fuck you. <laughs> but again, it will never, the nostalgia factor will never be replaced for me. And I can always go back and be transported to being in, you know, elementary school with my brothers and, watching the video cassette over and over and over and over and over again. And it's the first movie I remember seeing in theaters. Um, so it's always, yeah. So it's always special to me. And, you know, um, 
watching it again, it, it's fun. You know, I love I love the bit with the delivery pizza delivery guy. Um, I'm not as big fan when it gets towards the end because I think it's a little underwhelming. But um, the build up and the turtles are lots of fun. And the, the there's there's a great scene where they don't know if um, Raphael's going to make it. And, um, you know, there, there's some, just some really great quiet moments in the film, too. Yeah. So I have fun with this one. Brad? Cool. Number four? Yeah, number four is a new one. Uh, this one is another maligned movie from uh, 1990 in a, in a franchise. Uh, but I, I do enjoy it. From a million to one shot, he became a true champion of the world. Now, the glory. Because of the continuous violent blows to the head, the effects are irreversible. The crowds. My husband is retired. He has nothing more to prove. And the money are gone. You lost millions. I still got my place in the old neighborhood. His title is in the hands of a new champion. He might win a few fights, but he's no Rocky Balboa. Controlled by an unscrupulous promoter. This is your medical report. It's not so good, but we can work around it. All that's left is his family. We've been down before. I'll get it all back. His heart. I've got to fight, okay? i got problems, i got to fight. And a dream. A dream to get it all back. This is a tremendous opportunity. Opportunity for who? For you to make money for him to be disabled? You know he can't carry Balboa's stuff. As long as I got Balboa on the brain, he'll always be champ. Man to fight, and if he refuses, then you gotta insult him. You gotta dog him. You gotta humiliate him. You gotta do whatever you got to do to get him into that ring. They tell me you're a piece of garbage. You know that? That's it. You told him I fight anywhere, anytime. In the ring, in the ring. Tommy Gunn only fights in the ring. My ring's outside. Yeah. Let's do it. Come on, Tommy, knock me out. So yeah, Rocky uh, Five is my number four. Yeah, number four. Um, and you know, growing up, uh, like it's, it was a fun Rocky movie. But now looking at Stallone's career and kind of seeing how he makes movies, uh, it definitely feels like if there's something current going on, he's like, "Can I add that to Rocky or Rambo?" Because <laughs> um, obviously, this movie just looks like from the trailer, you know, Don King was a big presence in boxing at the time. So let's write a movie around that. Yeah. Um, and it is a bit of a narrative step backwards to have your your hero like regress into the like he, by the end of the movie he you know they say oh you you've you got to go back to your roots and become like be a street fighter again and it kind of like is a slap in the face of all his victories like rising as a champion even from the first movie so that's unfortunate i don't like that but um, it is cool. They got John G. Avildsen back to direct from the first movie. So it's probably the one that feels the most like a Rocky movie since Rocky two. Um, and, uh, yeah, they add, add the element of, you know, he, he's so obsessed with like, like he's so he's lost, 
his fame and riches and now he's back to the old neighborhood and so um, instead of taking care of his son and helping like raise him and deal with all his problems uh, he kind of focuses his attention more on Tommy Gunn this new fighter and training him only to have that guy betray him and uh, you, you kind of wish it was a little more triumphant at the end but like I said it takes a step backwards by having him just fight in the neighborhood not boxing yeah so uh, but yeah, I, I still enjoy. It. I think it's good. I like the character of Rocky. Yeah. 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 That's my number four. Corinne, your number four is a repeat. My number four is a repeat. If James can get mad at me for sweeping him, I'm gonna get mad at him for sweeping me. My number four is Rescuers Down Under. I have the number four. I mean, it's only my sixth favorite movie of the Disney Renaissance, but it's still like a really, really good movie. You know, we mm-hmm. were talking earlier about like the tiers of Disney movies and how we agreed like this would be a B tier movie, but I think it's like the top of the B tier. Um, I, I think the animation really, really holds up. It's a beautiful movie to look at. And um, if you've read my recent article about like the top 10 sequences or whatever in animation, um, this was one. Well, I ordered them. Mm-hmm. But yeah, the uh, the the flight uh, sequence uh, falls off the cliff. Mm-hmm. Who takes? It's just it's such a dazzling movie, and that opening sequence where you know it kind of slowly starts out with like all the bugs crawling around and stuff, and then you just get this like big bombast of music, and it just does this like sweeping shot through the field. Um, I love that opening sequence and um, got to give it up to, um, you know, oh crap. Who's the guy who plays McLeach? Can't think of his name. George C. Scott. George oh, C. Yeah. Scott, voicing McLeach um, is freaking amazing. And like I said, the original Rescuers is kind of lame <laughs> as like a film, but I think that the characters of like Bernard and Bianca, um, I get I get a clearer understanding of who they are in this movie than I do in the original. So, yeah, yeah. Rescuers Down Under. It's, it's I think it's, it's probably the most underrated Disney movie of the of the animation canon. People don't That's give that probably fair. Yeah, I mean That's the most fair. under Australia. It's the best. <laughs> yeah, I mean the most underrated Disney movie is The Rocketeer, but of the animated films, yes, absolutely. I'm just giving our time. Uh yeah, totally. No, it's a great movie. Yeah. James, number four. Oh, uh my number four uh is a great movie. Um it's one that I was on my list and then uh maybe even moved up a spot because in the last couple of weeks uh if you follow patrick h willems he did a whole video about how dialogue is treated in this film and i realized like oh there's a whole thing about this that like like i knew but didn't really didn't remember how smart and interesting it is uh my number four is this I got him. Oh, <laughs> shell shock. 
most brilliant commander in the Soviet Navy. Remy has trained most of their officer corps. He's nearly a legend in the submarine community. The most deadly submarine ever built. This thing could park a couple of hundred warheads off Washington. Nobody'd know a thing about it until it was all over. And once more, we play our dangerous game without all the versatility of the American Navy. His plan is a mystery. A man with your responsibilities reading about the end of the world. Apparently, he has suffered a kind of nervous breakdown in which he announced his intention to fire his missiles on the United States. If you want us to help you hunt him down, kill him. Open the outer doors, firing point procedures. We sail into history. Now I'm gonna blow him right to Mars. Ramius might be trying to defect. You're just an analyst. Why can you possibly know what goes on in this mine? I'll give you three days to prove your theory correct. I am not field personnel. I am only an analyst. You're perfect. I'm expendable. He's defecting. You're willing to bet your life on that? From the best-selling novel by Tom Clancy. From the director of Die Hard. Give this man a chance. My orders are specific. Battle stations. Sean Connery, Alec Baldwin, James Earl Jones, Scott Glenn, Sam Neill. The Hunt for Red October. Uh, yeah, so my number four is The Hunt for Red October, uh, which is an amazing thriller um you know it's it's yeah I mean, it's it's generally great uh i think i it could deserve its place at my number four if only because of how great the score is and the fact that hans zimmer would reuse it i don't know 20 times over the next 20 years um <laughs> but uh yeah i think it's wonderful what i was alluding to is there's a there's a really great video that Pat, patrick h willems just did about the the sort of dialogue trick that he pulls here where they, they do the thing where people are speaking in Russian and then he zooms into a mouth and then they're speaking in English and, and actually why that ends up being really important and interesting and a great sort of um, tool for building tension, especially later on in the movie. Um, that's really pretty brilliant. Um, and yeah, I mean, I think it's a, it's a, great movie everyone should see the hunt for red october i don't know how much else there is to say about it other than like dude like come on um so yeah that's uh that's my number four uh my dad also took us to see this in the theater um at the colorado boulevard cinemas or no um uh the hamden one. Oh sure uh because it had the biggest screen in colorado for a long time and they're showing it there yeah so i remember that and it's not on my list was that the century 21 no um i forget cinderella something yeah something like that okay yeah i can't remember um but i remember going there with my dad because he was really excited to see it my dad's a big war movie guy yeah it's a it's a great movie i I, thinking about it this week made me uh want to go back and rewatch it again so cool Zach, Zach, zach all right my number four is uh, by a director who thankfully was given a lot of money this year to make an awesome movie, but this is one of his earlier efforts. Here it is. We're in a time of throwaway technology. I give you 30, 40, 50. I know you'd see it my way. Only some of the stuff that gets thrown away isn't dead. Mo? 
Merry Christmas, baby. I got something else you like. What is it? It's a sleep. Fairwell Electronics presents its new model, the Mark 13. Mark 13 is self-repairing, capable of recharging its storage batteries from just about any power grid, including the sun. And when it wakes up, it'll become something entirely new. I gotta see. It's important. Meet me in one hour. A creature that combines the technology of a computer, the deceit of a human, and the killer instinct of a machine. James, listen to me. This is serious. Jealous in trouble. I didn't see anybody. Get ready for an encounter with some seriously heavy metal. hardware yeah that trailer's weird never seen that before <laughs> um so yeah no my number four is hardware um it's from richard stanley uh, he's a director that got a lot of um uh juices going in the early 90s and then his um his career was uh sideswiped from the creation of the film the island of dr moreau that, that frankenheimer went to uh um uh went on to take over uh, hardware, the, the the best way I could pitch it in a way that makes sense is that if Terminator were like a full-on like actual slasher movie like on the surface, this is what it is. Um, it, it's, Terminator it, is Alien? No, 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 no. It it, 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 I was getting from like yeah. all the stuff running it, around. <laughs> from the visual standpoint, yeah, it kind of looks like a later Latter-day Alien movie, but like this... This film is essentially, uh, Dylan McDermott plays a wanderer in a post-apocalyptic wasteland who finds a bunch of disparate parts from a robot, gives it to his artist girlfriend. She rebuilds it into an art piece. The robot comes alive and starts killing everybody, it seems. Um, I think it's, I mainly love this for the visual aesthetic and it's a, a stab at horror in a way that only Richard Stanley is able to do with very bizarre imagery that either has to do with the 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 uh, impact of technology or just his viewpoint on where the world's heading. Um, it's a film that got recommended to me when I was in the first year of film school by a friend that I, uh, I, uh, I, I hold his opinion very high. He also introduced me to Tetsuo the Iron Man and just these kind of weird like metal cyberpunk films that really, that, that, that have a unique vision of their own. And I think this is among my favorite of those particular kinds of movies. So um, this also, this movie also got botched by a company that's thankfully no longer in existence um, because uh, they were treating Stanley like garbage. Um, and, you know, obviously they're not the only, he's not the only director that um, Miramax or Weinstein company treated like shit. So, but yeah, number four, hardware. I really like it. Cool. Henry, number four. My number four is a very important film that I'm not going to talk very long about because no one's going to watch it. And so, yeah, my number four is... have space to do all that you intend to. This movie is about the ball circuit. A 
competition among gay people under one roof. It's like crossing into the looking glass. How their families, kids with broken homes or no home at all. My name is Angie Extravaganza, and I am the mother of the House of Extravaganza. I'm Willie Ninja, the mother of the House of Ninja. Ninjas hit hard, they hit fast. We come out to assassinate. I am Pepper LaBeja, the legendary mother of the House of LaBeja, and I've been around for two decades. Raining, that is. Some of them say that we're sick, we're crazy, and some of them think that we are the most gorgeous, special things on earth. They call them competitions. But believe me, they're wars. That's just the statement of the time. It speaks for itself. I was going to say, there's a lot of Gaspar Noah's climax. Well, I mean, it's very clear that Gaspar Noah is highly influenced by this film. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, this is uh, Paris is Burning, which is probably, I think it's very fair to say that it's one of the most important documentaries ever made. Uh, which follows uh, the drag scene in uh, 1980s uh, New York. Um, Is this the documentary that the term Yas Queen comes out of? It very well could. I know, I know that Yas Queen came from this yeah. group. Yeah. I don't know if it was in that time. I can't remember. But yeah, I mean, it's the drag right? It's the drag like scene in New York in the 80s. I don't know if that was then, but I'm sure, I'm, I'm sure it could have been. So. Yeah. Oh, well, I, I heard like a documentary that was specifically talking about where that term comes from and why it popped up in the last, you know, handful of years. And it, it comes out of a documentary from that period. It um, probably is this film. It may very well drag. be this movie. And then yeah. since drag has like exploded in popularity in the past like five years, right. it wouldn't surprise me at all. Um, but yeah, this one's amazing. It's only like 70 minutes. So it's like a really quick watch. Uh, and it's like very vibrant while also being like tackling very important issues. Uh, I strongly recommend it, uh, especially if you're into documentaries and that kind of thing. It's like, I struggle to think of any other film that is more important within queer cinema. And so I would, if you have not seen it, I would very strongly recommend it. But yeah, and so that's my number four. Very cool, Henry. Um, So my number three is... Uh, a film that, after watching it many times, not only is it a fun adventure, but you realize how poignant this movie is. And I really love this film as a capper to a film franchise. Hell yeah, dog. Damn it, no! Oh, shell shock. It's a little unfair that Ryan's getting the sweeper for this, but still. It is fun. <laughs> oh, for sure. It's it a tag team review. That's right. Wow. All in one. From out of the West, in a cloud of dust, a thunder of hooves, and a mighty... Great Scott. I know, this is heavy. Indians! This summer, Marty and Doc go back one more time for their greatest adventure of all. 
Doc's living in the past. Don't try it, Tenet! But he's about to be history. What kind of a future do you call that? I'm going back to 1885, and I'm bringing you home. It's the last roundup. It's the final showdown. Hey, lighten up, jerk. Where Marty makes a name for himself. What's your name, dude? Eastwood. Clint Eastwood. What kind of stupid name is that? Doc meets his mate. This saved my life. I'm a proud I just said this. And Tannen meets his match. I'll hug you and shoot you down like a duck. It's dog, Buford. Shoot him down like a dog. Michael J. Fox. Where'd you learn to shoot like that? 7-Eleven. Christopher Lloyd. There's a fella that can't hold his liquor. And Mary Steenburgen. I never ever met a man like you before. <clears throat> Gentlemen, excuse me, but my friend and I have to catch the train. This summer, Steven Spielberg and Robert Zemeckis invite you. Come on, Marty! To the Rough Rider. Rip Roar. Rootin' Tootin'. Straight shooting. It's a up. It's a science experiment. Rousing conclusion of Back to the Future. Back to the Future, Part Three. Uh, yeah, Back to the Future Part Three is, I think, gained in um, popularity over the last few years as people realize that it's actually a really great film. And it was in a time where, I mean, I don't know another film that were shot back to back and that the trailer for this was at the end of the credits. Yeah. The Avengers. No, I mean, but like at this time, <laughs> Oh, at that time. Yeah. Yeah. You know where it's, this movie was shot back to back and it's a franchise. And what's really cool is, you know, each one of the films this is why I love the back to the future of movies is they're very specific to where they're going. You know, it's the doo-wop of the 50s, or it's a sci-fi of part two, and then you're really doing a Western here. And um, Zemeckis and Spielberg are the guys who should bring it forward. And um, I, I I love this movie. It's it's a childhood favorite, and I, I still watch it to this day all the time. I love the message at the end of it with the future is what you make it. Yeah, Absolutely. And were the kids pointing at his junk? <laughs> <laughs> that fucking asshole kid. I would still punch him right in the dick if I met him in the real world. Anyway, uh, yeah. Henry, did you want to talk about it? I have some things to say. Oh, well, uh, I mean, I don't have much to say. It's predominantly here because it's back to part three. It's, <laughs> this is number three. Like, if I'm going to include this film on a top ten list of this year, it's obviously going to be number three. <laughs> That's really the only reason it's here. <laughs> so, I put Rocky Five at number four, so I haven't seen Rocky Five, so I couldn't put that as my number five, unfortunately. But I would have done the same thing with that one too. <laughs> but yeah, I don't have much else to say. It's a good movie, and it's the third movie. Yeah, so I have it. I have it ever so slightly higher on my list. But the um, the thing about Back to the Future Three that I really appreciate is that it's actually the movie that that makes doc brown a real character like makes him a really relatable person and that really rounds out the franchise like without without part three and without making part three go in that direction i think it would it would 
weaken the franchise overall because then when you go back and watch one and two um you get you you are way more attached to doc brown as a character when you go rewatch them because of how much the third movie is really about him you know like marty is sort of marty is sort of just on an adventure in this one um and has already actually learned his lesson from like the lesson that applies at the end of Back to the Future 3, he's already kind of learned that lesson. I mean, they, they retread that ground in 3. Um, but the second movie really is where he does a lot of his growth. And then this is really the movie that is about why you should really love Doc, Doc Brown. And him, instead of wanting to answer questions about the universe and where we're going, all these big things that he has at the beginning of the first movie, him really answering questions about like, well, what does he want out of the rest of his life? Um, I think it's amazing. Like it's, yeah, it's great. It, it's kind of similar to the, uh, the Indiana Jones series where like, I don't know that it's my favorite of the three, but it's probably the best written of the three. Um, you know, like the other ones maybe are more fun for me, but, uh, but this one has a lot of heart. So. Well said James. Cool. Wait, who was Ryan tag teaming with? Henry. 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 So we'll skip over Henry when we get to the end of the yeah. list for yeah, three. But, uh, yeah, fuck him. Brad? Yeah, my number three. Um, this movie lacks the biting commentary of its predecessor, but I still think it's uh, pretty awesome. About a year ago, we gave this city Robocop. Ready for duty, partner? Nothing I'd rather do. I think he's worked out pretty well. Have a seat. Is a bust. But things have become a little rougher out there. This unit needs millions of dollars in parts. You see, Robocop's off warranty. He's one of mine. And I want him back on his feet. I believe that Murphy's case was unusual, but not unique. We can find someone else. Someone to whom the prospect might even be desirable. And now, we need a law enforcement unit capable of meeting the enemy on his own ground. She's screaming psychotic, sir. Well, we aren't planning to build a toy. I'm carrying in a firepower to get the job done. I got good news for you. You're going to have a chance for immortality. With great pleasure, I give you Robocop 2. Things will be a lot quieter with this boy around. That thing is a Kane! Let's step outside. You! You're obsolete! Take it over, creep. Yeah, my first memory of this movie as a kid was the brain and the eyeballs in the jar. Um, I was like, oh, cool. (laughs) It's like a brain with eyeballs. Uh, I'll never stop loving this movie because of that. Uh, Yeah, and, um, you know, as an adult, uh, Frank Miller's take on it, um, you know, there's a lot more social satire going on across the board in Robocop 1. Uh, this one really focuses on like the military, military industrial complex part of it, and uh, um, and the police state. Um, 
So and it, it's pretty cool that like so it's RoboCop two, but the movie really is about RoboCop two. He's he's become obsolete and is going to be replaced um, by something more dangerous um, and irresponsible. So um, yeah, I think it's cool, and it's also directed by the director of Vampire Strikes Back. That's right. Um, and I think uh, the finale is pretty. It's, it's it's bombastic, but it's it's awesome. It's like a nobody smashes the brain. Yeah, there's just ton of <laughs> ton of action and carnage at the end. So yeah, yeah. I always thought the villain was like particularly scary and twisted to me for this one. Uh, and I think there was probably a period of time in my life where like I thought that's how drugs worked. Was <laughs> like like that was my main reference for what drugs were was RoboCop two. Um, I think because they put like a kid as his sidekick assistant. Um, like it makes it all that much more scary. Um, cause he, he, like that shouldn't be there. Um, so yeah. Corinne, your number three is a repeat. Number three is a repeat. It's the hunt for red October. Yeah. So I didn't, I forgot to mention this earlier before I introduced rescuers, but, um, like, there's a significant jump in, in my mind, at least, in both quality and I really care about these movies between number five and number four. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, Hamlet, I'm like, whatever. And I mean, I'd watch it probably, but um, <laughs> then we go, like, Rescuers Down Under is, like, way up here. So, yeah. like, my top four, um, Brad can attest to this, like, I sent him the bottom six of my list, and I was like, I'm still working out the order for the top four. So, I rewatched The Hunt for Red October, because I actually own it, and I-, I was like, it's a lot longer than I remember, and, but it's, like, still, like, such a really, really good movie, and I love it. Um, just, like, the, the fact that they're able to shoot in these, like, t- you know, really tight and cramped spaces but it doesn't feel claustrophobic except when they want it to. Um, I think that's great. The fact that it, this movie has Jack Donaghy, James Bond, Stick, and Darth Vader in it is like amazing. <laughs> I, I just, I love like the weird cast in this movie. There's just like, I watched it and then like Sam, Sam Neill popped up and I was like, oh yeah, Sam Neill's in this movie. And then like, there are three or four different people who came in and I was like, they look familiar. What do I know them from? Like, you know, more recently than 1990, but yeah, it was a, it was a really fun rewatching it. And there's some like absolutely amazing sequences in it. I think that the one where they're going through the trench, that they're starting their run, they're going past like the Thor's twins or whatever and they start going over, and, like, everybody's, like, freaking out, and the captain's just, like, whatever, like, he's just hanging. I think that that sequence is really well done, and there's a shot where they have, like, like, there's, like, a missile coming at them, and there's, like, this big rock, and they shoot, like, up, like, toward the sky, so you can see the submarine move, and then the missile, like, hits the rock. I don't know. It's really cool. I just, it's, it's kind of amazing that movie doesn't look like it was made in 1990. I don't know if it was just like a mix of digital and practical effects or what, but they did a really good job. That movie doesn't look 30 years old. Yeah. You know, from like a graphic standpoint, but just for how young Alec Baldwin looks. Oh my (laughs) gosh. He looks so young and hot in this movie. Yep. So fucking hot. (laughs) And honestly, uh, 
you know, Sean Connery, definitely not a bad looking dude by any means, but when he is in that uniform, he looks hella good looking. So, <laughs> like, and I know everybody makes fun of the fact that you get a Scottish guy to play a Russian submarine captain, yeah. but it's Sean Connery. I don't care. Oh, the performance is good. And it, and it, you know, it feeds into the whole thing where they're like, hey, yes, they're speaking Russian. Can we move on and make a good movie for people in America? Like, you know, I think it's fine. And I guess if I had one thing, I've, I don't know how I feel about like the whole, um, like the way they reveal that he actually does want to defect. Is it, it might have been in, more interesting if you had been like a little bit unsure of what his intentions were until later in the movie because i feel like it's not very far in that you like yes mm. the, the americans don't know what his intentions are and alec baldwin's character thinks like oh yeah he's he might be defecting or whatever and he's trying to prove it but we the audience know that he is defecting so i'm like i kind of maybe would have wanted that reveal a little bit later like maybe the same time that the Americans figure it out, we figure it out too or something, but it's still a really good movie. And I, yeah, I love it. Yeah. Cool. James, your three is a repeat as well. It is. Uh, my three is Home Alone. Um, I think it's an incredible John Humes film. Like the script is great. It's one of the best Christmas movies, period. Um, it's a lot of fun. It's like a... It's weird how much it's actually like a cartoon as a movie where like it's there's so much like Looney Tunes style like you you can't do this to a human body without this child murdering adults. <laughs> hey, they shouldn't come into his house. Right. <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, but no, I think it's wonderful. It's 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 a classic. One of the best. So that's my number three. Zach, your number three is a new one. Yep, my number three is uh, among my favorite John Waters movies. He's been hurt. He's been mistreated. He's been misunderstood. He's crybaby Walker. Yeah, you're looking to rumble. You're looking at me because I'm the king. Good girls want him bad. Hi. Bad girls want him worse. Look, cry, baby. You scorch me, man. You're a dead man, Walker. He's a queen. Come on. Yeah, you're the sweetest of the sugar that I've ever seen. The only place you're going to sing is in jail. We'll ever have your love. The young lady does not like to be poor. Just touch me for one second before I explode. He's not just antisocial. Get on. He was born to be bad. Just one night of happiness, that's all I ask. Johnny Depp is Crybaby. A film by John Waters. So, yeah, um... My number three is Crybaby. Uh, it's John Waters doing a uh, 50s, uh, a 50s musical, essentially. Um, I, uh, there, I, my favorite John Waters movies tend to be more of the stuff he did early on in his career, whether it's Pink Flamingos or especially Female Trouble. This is one, though, that I just love popping on and enjoy watching. I think every, the, 
over the topness is that it's a game in this. Um, it's uh, it, it captures a really fun uh, poke at fifties culture and really just it where it, it wears its personality on its sleeve in a way that only John Waters is able to do. Um, I, I like Edward Scissorhands, but it's my favorite Johnny Depp performance from this year, primarily because of how much over the topness he is bringing to that role as this like, you know, disassociated fifties greaser. Um, and, uh, and the aesthetics wonderful and it's got a really eclectic cast, you know, Ricky Lake's in it. You've got Tracy Lords in it too. And one of her first big film roles, um, post her scandal. And I, I think that, um, uh, I think it's, it's interesting when you give John Waters a lot of money, what he's able to do with stuff. And this is clearly coming off of the success of Hairspray where, he did it for virtually nothing. So this is, this is what you get afterwards is this kind of bombastic with all the different props and set design you'd need to make this aesthetic look and feel as ridiculous as it is. So yeah, I, I like Crybaby a lot. It's, it's a fun time. It might be the easiest John Waters movie to watch. I agree. Oh yeah, I agree. It's, it's not, cause even Hairspray has an accessibility issue, but this one's very uh, slick. It's, it's smooth looking and uh, it's, it's not, not alienating in a way that his earlier films are or even some of his later films uh maybe. to maybe a little bit less uh to a more sensitive audience i would guess you'd say so. i haven't seen pecker in a long time i can't remember if pecker is a little Pecker's pretty good I well think, I, I mean as far as like entrance points right like uh, well yeah. i think this is a really good entrance point because this is still a definitively john waters film right pecker yeah. doesn't Pe and so it's like, if you, you can watch this and be like, okay, I know this isn't for me. Yeah. <laughs> or you can yeah. be like, okay, I know that I can keep going with this. And so, yeah. You're, yeah. you're saying that Pecker is the straight story of John Waters' films. <laughs> In a way. <laughs> um, Heyo. That's my number three is uh, Crybaby. It's a lot of fun. Cool. Cool. Uh, my number two is a repeat. My. Um... Oh, yeah, Henry's. It was the tag yeah. team. It was fun. Yeah, we, yeah, we tag teamed. Uh, back to the future um mine is a repeat is a total recall um wow. and then, uh schwarzenegger shows up i really like the world it creates i i like the interpretation of the film too did he just go on an adventure or was he really an undercover agent we'll never know um and it's you know over the top but again the world is really cool that they build in the film and uh, it's also a little dark and kind of creepy. Um, you know, some of the aliens aren't what you'd expect with deformities. And Are they like aliens that. or are they mutants? Oh, yeah, mutants. Yeah. Um, but technically Martians because they live on Mars. Um, but, yeah. And I always was creeped out when he was in the airport and uh, he had that lady's head on and it started f short-circuiting uh, when I was younger. Um, but you still get the, uh, the action and then classic Schwarzenegger one-liners, you know, when he kills his wife and says, consider this a divorce, <laughs> you know, y y stuff you just, uh, you love about Schwarzenegger. And, uh, again, I like the world it builds and it it's, it's a fun movie. I'm surprised it's that high. Brad, number two. Uh, my number two is a triple tag team review. Hell um, yeah! Yeah, so my number two, along with Corinne and Henry or Corinne and James, um, is Back to the Future Part Three, which you guys talked a lot about it earlier. Um, 
yeah uh growing up number two was always my favorite because it was you know the future and it was yeah. all cool and exciting um but as i'm older i think two is now my third favorite of the trilogy because three like so many uh franchises can't nail the third act of the trilogy um and for this one to go like we spent so much time on marty's story um in one and two um it's nice to take you know the the character that's been following that whole time and kind of give him a, a tale to tell um while wrapping up the entire series and um yeah just going back to the wild west and uh, making it fun and exciting yeah. uh, for Western. It was, it's, a, it's a pretty cool, it's just great writing and all the nods. I've said it many times before on the podcast, how three is still the same structure as the other two movies with the same gags and they tweak them just enough that you don't initially see it. Yep. Um, and there's, yeah, there's there while still being the exact same thing. So uh, it's great. Totally. Yeah, I was the same way. Two was my favorite as a kid. I don't even know that how I would pick now. Um, I think the the amazing thing about two is how much like that one it starts. It, it takes stuff that you know when they made the first one was just for one movie and is able to make all of these references and tie all this stuff back together. And the fact that they retread all the ground in one again and two is Im- impressive. Um, but yeah, I think three just has a lot more heart. Right. Corinne, did you add anything? Yeah. Um, for me, I don't know if I had a favorite as a kid. I mean, I definitely liked the first one. I can say that I've never really liked the second one. I mean, compared to the other two. Um, I just, I, I feel like it doesn't have as clear of an identity because there are three different timelines going on. Mm-hmm. Whereas, you know, in the first one you have, you know, 1995 or 1955. Nineteen fifty-five, and then in the third one you have eighteen eighty-five or whatever, um, and then in, you know the second one you had you know the future, the alternate present, and then they go back to fifty-five again. So it was just a lot, um, but yeah, I I think I've said before, like I grew up on westerns, so watching a time travel adventure where they go back and they have basically a western movie is a lot of fun, and by the time like you know these characters and I, I think about like this getting to be the chance where Doc Brown really shines because the first two movies really do focus so much on Marty um, and his kind of family drama. And here it's like, he, he's still definitely a part of the movie. Um, but it, like, it's, there's definitely more of an equal focus on Doc Brown and his romance with Clara. And uh, I, I definitely, I do like Mary Sternberg in the movie and um I, I just, yeah, I just, I think it's a great capper for the, for the trilogy. And it, it goes on on a really cute note. Also that, that dance scene was easy top playing is really fun. <laughs> uh, the only other thing I would add is that it's uh, one of the movies I quote the most because I find myself frequently saying he just likes to hold it uh, <laughs> from the scene at the end with the, where Doc Brown is supposed to be shooting whiskey, but isn't um, anyway. Yeah. Good stuff. Uh, Zach, your number two is a repeat. Yeah, my number two is Darkman. Um, oh. um, so it's as high as it is for a couple reasons. Number one is, uh, I think when I first saw the film, I, I kind of didn't really give it that much thought. But 
Ryan knowing him and him pointing out that it is a better shadow movie and then rewatching it within those auspices, I was able to appreciate it on a level that I hadn't prior. Yeah. Um, I think it's all, it's all splendiferous Sam Raimi goodness wrapped into his own version of a superhero film. And there's a lot of stuff that you see visually that then gets carried over into Spider-Man, not just from his style, but also just stuff he's playing around with, whether it's, you know, like the, over the, the, the insanity of his villains. And I, I really appreciate just the, the wackiness ensuing on it. It's, it's among my favorite Sam Raimi movies for that reason. And yes, I'm a fan of 94's The Shadow because I'm going to support that flag no matter what. However, this is, yes, a better Shadow movie and does exactly what The Shadow should do in a movie, which is give it some horror elements and don't treat it too smooth and slick and austere. Like, it comes out of Crime Noir and he clearly takes those elements of The Shadow and sticks them right into Dark Man in a way that's just wonderful. So, so yeah, my number two, repeat, Dark Man. Henry, your number two is a repeat as well. It is. It was uh, Edward Scissorhands. Uh, wow. Sorry, it was, uh, I watched it for this episode. I'd never seen it before. Uh, oh. And uh, I will say, it was interesting because I, to be fair, I went in with very low expectations. Um, <laughs> but I was pleasantly very surprised. That was very cute. I thought it was very enjoyable. I thought everyone does a really good job. I think it's very... It's, I tend to be a Tim Burton apologist, even though I really shouldn't be, because I don't really like any of his films that, like, really all that much. <laughs> um, but, uh, I was, but, like, him in this era, when he's doing, like, this style, before he... Before it defines him. Yeah. It really works, like, like yeah. this, and that yeah. kind of thing. It's similar to, like, when you watch, like, an early Wes Anderson film, and you're like, oh, you can see the, like, start of your style, but whereas Wes Anderson defined it and got really good while still having it be artistic, Tim Burton just kind of shit himself, and that's... (laughs) (laughs) And so, that's that's what I'm doing, so... Henry? style has, like, a purpose here, yeah. Growing up, like I was a big Tim Burton fan too, but after watching him basically just adapt everyone else's stuff for twenty years, I get it. <laughs> yeah. yeah, like he he's lost his own voice, really. Exactly right. He'll surprise you in certain places, but yeah, he's gotten too comfortable with that aesthetic. Yeah, the only times that he's great anymore are when you forget that it's him, right? Or when he works. Or with him. <laughs> no, I agree. I agree. 100%. For big eyes, big fish, anything that he does big, except for Big Top Adventure, it's great. Or Pee-wee. Well, he didn't do Big Top Adventure. So. Oh, that's right. You're right. Maybe he can remake Big yeah. since he's into remakes. No, yeah. no, 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 no. <laughs> we're, we're just fine here. We're all fine. How are you? <laughs> that's a Star Wars reference. Yeah. <laughs> Man, we've made it to number one. I am not surprised my number one film is not on anybody's list. That must this be, might nice. be I didn't know this movie existed until you sent it to me. Uh, this might be controversial. Um but I love this movie because I love the original film of this. Um, and why this movie works for me and why it's so good is it takes what you know about the original film and remakes it in a way that surprises you. Uh, my number one film of 1990 is... They came to pay their respects. Coming to get you, Barbara. Why do you have to be so cruel? What? Show some respect. 
Now, they're running for their lives. A biologist in Stockton, California, have released reports focusing on the phenomenon, specifically on that trance-like state. Every shelter is becoming a trap. Are you sure we're going to be all right? Cooper, you got to help me out! And every road out... Don't stop no matter what happens. ...is just another dead end. They're coming right for us! George Romero's Night of the Living Dead. Yeah, my um my number one film from 1990 is the remake of Night of the Living Dead, um, directed by Tom Savini, uh, makeup maestro. Um, and what I really do appreciate about this film is it has a lot of similar story beats. Uh, but what's really cool is George Romero wrote the script again. And he was heavily involved in the remake and he wanted to make it for a modern audience. And the biggest change from the film uh, is the character of Barbara. If you've seen the original Night of the Living Dead, Barbara is kind of um, withdrawn after her brother dies in the cemetery. In this version, she kind of turns into Ripley where she's telling everybody, you know, they're so slow. We can walk right past them and we can take them out. And why are we just holding up in this house and um she eventually makes the decision to leave and um it, that's where the film diverges heavily from the original and uh patricia tillman plays barbara and she's she's great in the movie um the movie moves by really i watched it again with my wife my wife has never seen this either uh this week and she even said she was really impressed with it um it doesn't have like tons of zombie gore uh, but the scares in it are effective because it takes the same premise of people being trapped in, um, you know, being under siege by corpses and it introduces the world really to Tony Todd too, who's an amazing Ben, um, his, uh, monologue that he tells about why he thinks that's, uh, dead people coming back to life and how he escapes the diner is amazing. And, uh, yeah, it's just a really good movie, and I think people should seek it out. Um, no, I didn't. I didn't really realize this was a thing. I mean, you got this on your list, Ryan. Yeah, I had to import the Blu-ray from Australia because it came out on Twilight Time about seven years ago and sold out in five minutes. And after I researched it, they also added a color timing to it that made it blue that a lot of people couldn't believe. Uh, and so it's called Under Umbrella, and they're it's not that expensive to import. It's like 20 bucks. Yeah, yeah, I'm seeing it now. But they added uh, special features to it. They remastered it. It's still not the best transfer, but if you really want to seek it out, I can one, I can let you borrow it, or, I mean, I would recommend picking up the Umbrella version. You can find it on Amazon. And it's, um, yeah, it's lean. I think it's like 87 minutes. Um, it's it, It's a really underrated horror film. It really looks like from the trailer, like just a colorized version of the 60s yeah. film. Yeah. And you're right. So it starts, um, Zach, I guess you've seen it. Um, yeah. It's, it starts almost beat for beat like the original movie, but it slowly diverges when um, Barbara becomes more of an action heroine than uh, just a scared uh, female. And that was the biggest thing George Romero wanted to change is he didn't, he wanted the character of Barbara to be a strong female character and uh, he accomplishes it. It's, it's awesome. Yeah. 
Yeah, I'm glad you got this on your list. I, I it almost made mine. It's it's a really good it's a really good adaptation and a good remake. Yeah, I um yeah, I love it. Um number one, Brad, there's no way I could guess your number one film of nineteen ninety. What could it possibly be? Um yeah, uh we uh debuted it hours ago. Uh <laughs> my number one film is Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles the movie. Actually, you know what? Screw you, Corinne. I'm gonna play my trailer again anyway. Yes. <laughs> The city itself will be our playground to use as we please, rewarding ourselves and punishing our enemies. We've been looking for you, Miss O'Neill. There is a new enemy, freaks of nature. Together, we will punish these creatures. What the heck was that? Looked like sort of a big title in a trench coat. Gosh, what what can I say that I haven't already about this movie? Um, Why is it your favorite movie of all time? You know, I've never really thought about like because a while back you asked me like why do you even like the Ninja Turtles, mm-hmm. and I, I, like it really stopped me. And I've been watching the new cartoon and trying to dissect like, is it just that it was there and I just gr- grew up enjoying it because it looked cool, or is there a deeper, more interesting story that connects like I connect to and. I can't really say there is other than like, um, you know, the turtles are a, you know, they're not technically blood. They're a family that's thrown together. Mm -hmm. And a lot of times I feel like my friends are more like, I'm more like my friends than, or I'm close to my friends and my family at times. So maybe that's it. Hmm. Um, but mostly it's just that it looks cool. (laughs) (laughs) Um, like it's really creative and, uh, you know, the the story of how Turtles even got created, you know, is just, um, you know, two artists who found each other uh, in the Northeast and they just hung out and were joking around about like trying to one up each other of like, you know, I'll draw this wacky thing. You draw this wacky thing. And then just grew and grew and grew and uh, into the Ninja Turtles we know today. They're and- uh the documentary on Netflix, the toys that made us is the Ninja Turtles one is my f- most favorite one. Yeah. It, because I, it has like a real story to it and it has heart to it that a lot of them don't. And it's, it's sad that they kind of like after all that success kind of like grew apart over a female turtle. <laughs> yeah. Over some creative decisions <laughs> yeah. and, uh, um, a couple, uh, last week, I think it was, uh, the Judith Hogue who plays April got all the, the crew together like some of the cast but mostly the crew um like the the actors who wore the turtle suits the stunt people like she got the director and the uh the the uh the guy who did the score and i was amazed to find out that that reunion last week 
was the first time that the the guy who did the music and the director met. So the producers took the film and just took it to someone to get it scored without any of the director's approval, I guess. Um, That's crazy. It, it's interesting too because like I like that score, like it's it's heavily synthy. But when I listen to the like the modern instrumental movies that have like the Hans Zimmer soundtrack, um, like this one feels like it belongs to that movie, whereas the modern ones just feel like they could be any movie. Um, so I really enjoy that. And then just uh, trying to imagine, like also all those stunt performers were there, and they talk about how um, you know they're wearing seventy pounds of foam and doing all these athletic things. Who's your favorite Ninja Turtle? I always get asked that, and I don't have one. Like, the 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 whole team is my favorite. You know, I always think of them as like adaptation, right? What's up? He said, "I imagine it depends on the adaptation, right? Like, maybe you like Donatello from this movie, and then you like Leonardo from this other series, or no? Because they always they always kind of keep their same personalities. Um, the only the only difference I'd say is." You know, in the new 2012 cartoon, they make Donnie like have a crush on April, um, but Howard, he's still Howard like the duck style. <laughs> yeah, um, but he's still like a, a tech whiz, you know, um, nerd throughout all of them. Um, but I, I always feel like they're kind of four separate as- aspects of the same personality. You know, there's someone's fun side, their smart side, their anger, and their leadership. You know, um, so. Um, and yeah, uh, admittedly, Shredder isn't like a really deep villain. You know, watching the the new cartoon series, you know, he has the same motivation. Um, the the original eighty seven, you know, he wants to take over the world, which is you know the standard villain plot. Um, but the the new series, you know, it's it's more personal, like this movie is. Uh, so, um, but yeah, the stunt people, it's like trying to do all those acrobatics and in those suits, and uh, the Jim Henson, like the animatronics in this are pioneer level um and for a movie with such a low budget to be able to convince the henson studio to even do it and do it so well um like they just got they got the the puppeteering team so excited about doing the work that they were willing to work work insane hours to do it um so yeah um the production design i think the writing is really good for a what's supposed to be a, a, a children's movie although i feel like this was really created more for teens because it is more based on the comics than the in the cartoon and so it just at, at the time when you know the cartoons running and and this happened it was just kind of like trying to find its identity with public perception so um i feel like people treat this more as a kid's movie than it really is yeah so um yeah i love it very cool um corinne i guess we're gonna watch a trailer for one of your movies um so yeah, my number one, I went back and forth. Like I said, my top four, I had to do a lot of soul searching on like which one I wanted to put it as number one. Cause I do love all my top four movies. Um, but I decided to put this at number one because it is my favorite adaptation of one of my favorite stories and at least like film adaptation. Um, I'll talk about it more, but let's play the trailer. Somewhere between love and illusion. Sometimes dreams can be real. Beyond the shadows. Where are you taking me? 
Within the heart. I love her, Gerard. Behind the mask. If you are unlucky enough to see his face, you die. A mystery to be seen and never forgotten. I want him caught. Let me see your face. Burke Lancaster. Anyone who goes down there does not return. The world premiere, Phantom of the Opera, tomorrow. Brad, I'm so glad you found a trailer for it. Hey, thank the person who recorded all the NBC commercials from that year <laughs> and put them on YouTube. <laughs> and they even they even time-coded it so I could just skip right to the trailer. <laughs> nice. Yeah, instead of watching 30 minutes of commercials. So this is a, the... It's a TV movie adaptation of The Phantom of the Opera starring, Char- starring Charles Dance as the Phantom, Eric, Terry Polo of... Better known as Benedict in Last Action Hero. Yes. <laughs> yes. Uh, Terry Polo from Meet the Parents is Christine. And Burt Lancaster plays the opera house manager who gets fired in the first part of the thing. But he he's still around. Like I don't want to spoil too much for you. So um, this is based on the Yeston and Coppet musical, but it's not a musical. So Andrew Lloyd Webber did his stage musical version of Phantom of the Opera in like 87. And Yeston and Coppet had been working on their musical stage version kind of around the same time, but it premiered after Andrew Lloyd Webber's, even though it had been in production first. Um, But this is a non-musical TV adaptation of the Yeston and Coppet musical. Um, so it follows a, the same storyline as that musical does. Um, and there are a lot of changes from, you guys are probably most familiar with Andrew Lloyd Webber version. Um, of course. Well, I mean, I, don't, I know yeah. Ryan's watched a lot of versions. I don't know about you guys. I, I've seen a lot, and this is, this is definitely my favorite. I'm more familiar with the Joel Schumacher version. Yeah, this one seems a little too romantic for me. I need, I need more horror. I've seen it live a few times. Definitely not a horror version, Ryan. And um, it seems really romantic. One of the best jokes in it is like right at the very beginning. So they send some people down to the cellars of the opera house because these new managers take over. I don't know what's up. Um, so this guy comes down and like stumbles across Eric, the Phantom. He's played by Charles Dance, and he maybe sees Eric's face, and uh, Eric kills him. And then later, he's talking to Burt Lancaster's character. He's like, I'm not used to killing people. It threw me off a bit. (laughs) So he's definitely, he's definitely, this is the version. I guess we had to be there, Corinne. (laughs) (laughs) What? I'm being an asshole. Go ahead. So this version definitely makes Eric the most sympathetic. He, he, he's less of like a... I feel like in the Andrew Lloyd Webber, like he's more of just kind of like this mysterious figure who kind of just kind of floats in and floats out. And he's like, you know, you hear him and you don't really see him a lot. And so there's this kind of mystique to him that this version doesn't have, but it makes him more sympathetic because it makes him feel like a real person. Um, You get to spend a lot more time with him and it feels genuine. It feels real. You see him meet Christine for the first time. You see them build up this teacher-student rapport, and that's, like, one thing that the Andrew Lloyd Webber and, like, the novel and everything never did. Like, we hear about it, but we never see it. And this version shows us Phantom and Christine being together, and 
like it, it actually like the romance actually pulls it off really well because every other time phantom kidnaps christine it really genuinely feels like he's kidnapping her but in this one it's definitely like he's basically rescuing her again i don't want to spoil too much for you but um the first time he takes her down to his lair he's basically rescuing her and another great thing about this adaptation is they actually filmed it at the paris opera house this is the only version of the phantom that is filmed there um, so there gives, it gives a, a sense of authenticity to that. And they have like legit opera singing in this, in this version. So admittedly, like they dub over the actors, but it's still, it sounds more like authentic opera. Like this is the Phantom of the Opera, not the Phantom of the Musical Hall, you know, yeah. <laughs> it's, it's not like kind of pop music-y sort of, it's, um, they co-opt a lot of scenes from Faust and they incorporate it into the story and there's like this big thing where like the Phantom and Christine are like singing to each other during the scene of Faust at the end and that's hmm. spoilers I guess. Um, it just it works so well and it's it's cheesy yes but it's so earnestly cheesy that I love it. I love Charles Dance in this version as the Phantom. He's maybe my favorite Phantom um, because like he's so sweet and charming, but when he wants to be menacing, he can be menacing. Like there's this scene where he tells off Burt Lancaster's character and he's like, you know, fuck you, like get out of here. Like, I don't want you around. And he, he can hear like the Tywin Lannister in his voice when he says it. So he just goes from like, oh, super duper charming to fuck you, you know, like get out of here. Um, so I love it. Uh, I could talk about it more <laughs> if you want, but you're all probably bored with it. So, uh, James, your number one film. Uh, oh yeah. Uh, my number one film, if anyone can remember is, uh, is <laughs> dances with wolves. Oh, so you've, you've, you've seen it recently and you can, I've seen it many times and you can actually judge the film. Okay. Perfect. It is a, uh, it is a, an epic for sure. Um, so Dancers with Wolves is the story of a wounded Civil War so soldier who goes and takes a post in the West because he basically just wants to get away and ends up getting involved. He, he gets sent out to this little like ranch where he's supposed to be like the military post out on the edge of the frontier. Uh, and the man who sends him out there uh, promptly commits suicide right after sending him out. So no one knows he's there. And so he, for the first act just has to survive out in the West at a um, underdeveloped and undersupplied uh, post. And because of that, ends up relying on the help of the Native Americans who live in that area. Um, and then he sort of builds a relationship with them and, uh, and ends up just moving and living with them. Um, falls in love with a woman named Stands with a Fist who's played, with, played by uh, Mary McDonald uh who's fantastic um I mean, all of the performances in this movie are are just great and kevin costner is extremely likable um i had a an english professor once uh once referenced this movie as um as if it were uh um hitler telling the story of the nazis um because his, his point was that you're telling a movie about or you're telling a story about American Indians, but you're telling it from, from the perspective of, of, of a white man, um, which I think is, is fair, but I think that's 
also some of the point here um, is that that you know what like Avatar misses when it goes and remakes this film is that the fact that he's coming out of the Civil War and actually knows what the civilization he left really is and what that looks like on a darker side um it's a lot easier for him to uh to sort of criticize that if you will um i think the movie is incredible i think it's absolutely beautiful um like every scene of the movie is just this wide epic like it it feels very reminiscent of like a lawrence of arabia as far as just being wide open um and yeah there's just a, a bunch of amazing performances in there and and some really rough moments uh, the scene where uh, Robert Pastorelli dies uh, and is killed by the Pawnee soldiers is like brutal. Um, and it has this unbelievably great ending that all, pretty much makes me cry every time where Wynn and his hair stands on the cliff and because and, and, they've had this long sweeping sort of subplot uh, where there's this one guy who just hates Dances with, dances with Wolves because he's white. Um, and by the end of the movie realizes like, oh no, you're not, you're not who I thought you were at all. Um, I think it's fantastic. I think it's it's one of the few times that like it's an Oscar winner that that really probably deserves uh, that. Um, so yeah, I, I I think Dance with the Wolves is great. And if you haven't seen it recently, um, you should absolutely go check it out again because it's a, a it's a fun time. <laughs> I mean, it just genuinely is. So uh, yeah, that's Dance with the Wolves, my number one. It sounds like. Uh, the Last Samurai, but just set in the West. Uh, the Last Samurai is ripping off of Dance with the Wolves. Yeah. Yeah, but The Last Samurai is a better movie, so. Uh, how would you know? Ooh, Did you, you even see it? Yeah. The Japan expert, I would say. I don't know about that. Yeah, The Last, the last Samurai does not do as good as that. You just said it was a better movie. It's not. It's just not. Yeah. The problem is people have also ripped off Dance with the Wolves a number of times since it came out. Which is why, like, now if you go back, yeah, you're absolutely going to watch it and be like, oh, it's like Avatar, only not shitty. Um, <laughs> but it's, it's, it's better than that. Um, so anyway, that's Dance with the Wolves. Zach? My number one film is from a director that I really admire and appreciate watching. This is considered amongst his masterpieces. I agree with that statement. I also wish people would stop watching it the wrong way. As far back as I could remember, I always wanted to be a gangster. I know I'd go from rags to riches. To me, being a gangster was better than being president of the United States. Never ride on your friends and always keep your mouth shut. It meant being somebody in the neighborhood that was full of nobodies. By the time I grew up, there was 30 billion a year in cargo moving through Idlewild Airport, and believe me, we tried to steal every bit of it. You might know who we are, but we know who you are. You understand? Yeah. What kind of people are these? Life is blood, a dream. What do you do? I'm in construction. <laughs> if we wanted something, we just took it, and you didn't even think about it. <laughs> It was better than Citibank. Nice. It's great, but nice. 
You got some nerve standing me up. Nobody does that to me. Who the hell do you think you are? Frankie Valley or some oh. kind of big shot? I was living in a fantasy. Look at my eyes. He's not Jewish. For most of the guys, killings got to be accepted. Murder was the only way that everybody stayed in line. What are we gonna do with him? We can't just dump him on the street. And we'll push up safe. I'll never find him. You got out of line, you got whacked. Everybody knew the rules. Hey, Henry, here's an arm. Very funny, guys. Here's a leg. Here's a wing. <laughs> what do you like, the leg and a wing, Henry? Okay, you ready? Sometimes I... For us, to live any other way was nuts. Anything I wanted was a phone call away. <laughs> and we were treated like movie stars with muscle. We had it all just for the asking. It's gonna be a good summer. <laughs> it was a glorious time. by violence on the streets where the violent have power a new generation carries on an old tradition for sure so my number one is goodfellas um martin scorsese's um uh, masterpiece about the rise and fall of henry hill and people within the crime family that he works within. Um, Goodfellas is a film that I have watched within the last recent years um, be misinterpreted by people who call it a hangout movie or a guy movie where you, where you worship these people and it's the most incorrect way to watch that movie. I can't stress enough how that film is about people making terrible decisions and watching their rise and fall the way all gangster movies have been from the moment they were first conceived within the 30s and 40s. Um, I still think that this film is a sweeping epic and a masterpiece. What? I do, but I've got to keep going. So I, I'm almost done. I'm going to be going right after. So, um, but at any rate, um, I really like the film. I appreciate um, what Scorsese does to do a rise and fall gangster movie. I think all the performances in this film are fantastic. Um, Joe Pesci as Tommy is yes he gets a lot of attention um, for that portrayal and I think that's also why they make it to the end of the movie but but um, I I I can't I can't stress enough how much Scorsese within this film he makes a film that I feel puts the Godfather to shame in the respect that the Godfather seems to glorify the lifestyle a little bit more than Goodfellas Whereas Goodfellas, I think, tends to actually portray it as it is on its face, which is this is a life you get sucked into being a foot soldier in the mafia. And what happens uh, as a consequence to these men who basically put their lives on the line and overthrow everything else in their lives as a result. Um, I know that um, I know that as a film, it's 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 hard to get past the sleek aesthetic. But once you dig deeper into it, I think that it's a film that ultimately really surprises you with how thoughtful it can be in spite of the fact that it has a cult following around it that is 
negative to say the very least of what I could say. But yeah, I'm sorry that I had to rush through that. But yeah, that's my number one good film. No, no, it's a wonderful good. film. It's my favorite Scorsese movie within my, my top 10 uh, films of all time. So It's your favorite Scorsese film? I think, uh, well, that might be changing around a little bit because I really like what the Irishman's doing to exe- uh, to elaborate on things Goodfellas is working towards saying. Mm. Um, I mean, my top 10 obviously is a fluid thing, but like this is the film, like it's a film that if I was going to make a gangster movie, I'd want to make it as impactful as this one from a thematic standpoint. So yeah. yeah. Cool. Yeah. Gotcha. Henry, uh, last well, one. Let's finish this bad boy up. Uh, my number one is what I think is the best gangster film of the uh, 1990 and potentially the entire 90s. So the film is called Boiling Point. Um, uh, The title in Japan is like, so, okay. So basically the plot of the film is basically about these like two kind of like going nowhere guys in Japan who are playing on like a minor league baseball team and are not good and work in a gas station and nothing good is going in their lives. Uh, And then one of them, like accidentally pisses well not really accidentally but pisses off a member of the yakuza uh and the yakuza's like all right well i'm just gonna fucking kill you then uh and then he's like you have basically a fucking week um and they're like ah shit uh and so it's a and so the plot is about how these these three people travel to uh uh okinawa to buy a gun to protect themselves kind of thing uh, and along the way, they run into these other three people uh, who are also doing the same thing and buying a gun from the same person uh, for different reasons kind of thing. It's about the journey of, like, the group to buy the gun and how they handle getting the gun kind of thing. 
uh, it's a comedy. It's a black comedy. Um, it's, it is a black comedy. So again, this trailer does not represent this film whatsoever. I don't no. know. <laughs> um, uh, but what I'm getting at is, uh, it's a lot, they play baseball and baseball is a big part of the film. Uh, and the, the title in Japan is the score uh, of the end of the, uh, at the, of the baseball game. Uh, oh, gotcha. That's why it's a whole bunch of numbers kind of thing. Um, but anyway, um, but it's really, it's super dark, but really interesting. Kind of in like, in kind of like a searcher's kind of way, where it's like, as these kind of schlucks are trying to get this gun from this guy, they realize the other person who's trying to get the gun might be super evil um, in like how they kind of approach that. And what the film ends up kind of being about is kind of about the potential of morality and how like it's revealed that they're both getting the gun for the same reason, but one of them is not, one of them is not a bad person and one of them is. And it kind of analyzes what is like, how does evil influence a person and what potential does evil have kind of thing. Uh, it's a really, really well done film. It's not. It's only like an hour and a half. Uh, it's made. It's made by uh, Takashi Kitano, who is. In terms of modern day Japan, there are two directors who are obviously the best, and he is one of them. Kind of thing. Uh, you might recognize him as the bad guy from Johnny Mnemonic, uh, or uh, the boss in Ghost in the Shell. Those are the two American films he's also starred in. Uh, okay. But he directed this and stars in this as, like, the evil guy. Um, it is funny in a very dark, slapstick, like, black comedy kind of thing. Uh, it's I love it. I think it's one of the best gangster films definitely of the 90s. But it's also a Yakuza film. It's not really an American gangster film. Like, in how Japan approaches gangster films is very different than how we approach it because the Yakuza is a much different presence in Japan. Like, like, it's a lot more of, like, very nonchalant of, like, yeah, obviously the Yakuza are going to be in our lives. We just have to deal with that kind of thing. Uh, but it's, I mean, it's ironically, it's how I describe it is that it's kind of like if the guy who made Napoleon Dynamite made a gangster film, but the script was written by the Coen brothers. <laughs> like, it's that style kind of thing. Weird. About, like, these kind of idiots that kind of get roped up in, like, organized crime, but it's also shot in that kind of, like, awkward silence kind of narrative that, like, the guy who does Napoleon Diamond does. Uh, and so, it's a very interesting... I think it's the best gangster film of the 90s, but it's also... I can't think of any other gangster film that's like it kind of thing. Sure. Uh, but yeah, I, I love it. It's a it's a strong recommendation from me. Uh, it's on like it, it's on Canopy for free if you have a library card. And so, uh, but yeah. Anyway, that's my number one is Boiling Points. Uh, yeah, or three four x ten and then a Japanese character. Their <laughs> um, films are really representing this year. Heck yeah. Um... Thank you for listening. Uh, we do have James. Did your mom send us one this time? Perfect. Yep. And then we had we got one email as well. Um, did we? We did. Uh, uh, well, while you're bringing that up from your mom, James, I just want to apologize uh, to our listeners. Uh, we kept on having things pop up, and we had to keep on postponing. Um, but 
we got it done. <laughs> and um, thanks for the support. I really want to thank uh, Rennie Harlan for liking my tweet. <laughs> um, I, I think we only have like 300 less followers than him, so I feel pretty good about myself. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but uh, James, what did your wonderful mother send us? Uh, yeah, so she says here, um, 1990 was another big year for our family. It was the first year, full year we were living in Colorado. I'm pretty sure that most of the movies we saw were home rentals, not in theaters. Jacob was nine, James was two, so we had to get a babysitter. We didn't have grandparents here. Uh, as I looked at the list of movies from 1990, I realized that this is a year, that this was the year of the sequel. It is crazy. And for all... Uh, and for the most part, they are not good. <laughs> uh, you know, sequels like Three Men and a Little Lady. Uh, <laughs> we we haven't seen a bunch from uh, of this year's movies, but uh, but quite a few I don't remember much about because I haven't seen them since the first time, and that says a lot. Uh, I was tempted to not contribute this time. There are only a few that stand out. Uh, just a lot of meh. Uh, I I'm having trouble. Oh. Oh, I'm having trouble having a top 10. Therefore, you'll notice that there's a bunch or that, there, oh, that I don't have a lot to say about them. Uh, I must be honest and say that there are some well-loved movies from this year that I haven't seen simply because they are not my cup of tea. I have a feeling that I'm going to be hearing about them during the podcast. She's talking about Goodfellas. Um, so, <laughs> so even though uh, this does not feel exciting until number one, but here it is. Number 10, Die Hard 2. Well, the only reason is because I needed a number 10. Uh, <laughs> number 9, sorry, Rennie Harlan. Uh, number 9, Kindergarten Cop. I know, I know, uh, but I just love Arnold, and this is, like, he, he cracks me up. There's actually like a stutter in, in the here. I'm not actually stuttering. He cracks <laughs> me up. Uh, it's not a tumor, uh, though she spelled tumor right. She didn't say tumor. Um, the story <laughs> is silly, though. 8, Ghost. Uh, interesting love story. Seven, Quigley Down Under. Love the characters and the story. I need to watch this again soon. Uh, six, Bird on a Wire. Fun. Number five, Joe versus the Volcano. Fun. Uh, pre number four, Pretty Woman. Another interesting love story with a great character development. Number three, Back to the Future. Great fun. Number two, uh, Home Alone. Crazy. There are scenes that are so funny. Uh, and number one, uh, which is the correct choice, uh, Dances with Wolves. Um, this is by far my fa one of my favorite movies ever. Beautifully filmed, acted, and wonderful, and a wonderful portrayal of the time. Uh, it is just about everything. Oh, uh, it has just about everything to ask for in a historical novel type movie: humor, action, touching, love, and uh, and great messages about the human condition. Uh, I would compare it to The Patriot. There you go, Ryan. Oh, she literally yeah. says, <laughs> "What do you think, Ryan?" Uh, just one problem. I've always, uh, uh, I've always been troubled by uh, stands with a fist's hair. It just bugs me. <laughs> um, I know that in this, the, the that the story is that when we meet her, she is in deep grief and tried to kill herself uh, and cut her hair. But after that, it never grows really. Like, why doesn't she ever go back to traditional hair? Anyway, I love the movie so much. <laughs> uh, uh, hope you all are well. As you know now, film explosions are my favorite. I look forward to hearing you all take this movie's, this year's movies, or make this movie's, this year's movies sound much better than in my memory. Oof. Uh, love you guys, Carol. Yes. Thanks, Carol, as always. Um, we got one from 
uh, frequent collaborator or I guess listener to Film Explosions, Ryan Neal. He said, hey, nerds. Wow. 1990. This year's I clocked 26 movies at the theater. So I'm doing this list as my 17 year old self. I can relate. I'm not well, I wasn't quite that old, but I can relate to like thinking about how I was at that time and why movies like Repossessed are on my list. Um, so I'm doing this list as my 17 year old uh, self. I already said that part. So not not great. But hey, I was 17 and a nerd. So here you go. Have a great film explosion. 90 um, number 10 misery. Number nine, quick change. Number eight, problem child. Number seven, hunt for red October. Number six, Joe versus the volcano. Number five, arachnophobia making its first appearance. Number four, kindergarten cop. Number three, gremlins two. Number two, home alone. And number one, total recall. Get you off the Mars. Um, Nice. I forgot about Gremlins 2 there. Yeah, that's that's a, a strange one. I was actually going to say, man, like when we were done, I was going to be like, man, it's really nice that we got to get through this without talking about Gremlins 2. <laughs> um, so thank you for listening, everybody. Thank you, fellow nerds, for joining us on a Zoom meeting. Ryan. Yeah. Oh. What? I have a list from my friend Ian. Oh, okay. Cool. He says, favorite 10 from 1990, no particular order. Top five for Tremors. Nightbreed, Tales from the Dark Side, the movie, The Exorcist 3, and Child's Play 2. Wow. And then everything else, Wild at Heart, and then in parentheses, he put David Lynch with an exclamation point. Dark Man, Sam Raimi, King of New York, Miller's Crossing, and Edward Scissorhands. That's a cool list. I'm down with that one. I had a lot of those films that were almost on my list because, like I said, it, it was this is actually a tough year for me where I never had – I didn't feel like I had um, a movie that I just, like, blew my mind, but I had a lot of movies I liked a lot and some that I loved. Um, so, again, thanks for listening. Um, Corinne, just a heads up, our next film, Explosion, is 2000, so uh, maybe watch some movies from there and then you can actually make your list. Um, I didn't know if you knew how this works but I'm here to help you. We do it in increments of 10. So now that we've already done, you know, 30 and 20 years ago, the next one is uh, 20 years ago, 40 and 30 years ago. So now it's 20 years ago. The films from the 2000 are easily accessible. You can probably get them at the library because they're on Snapcase DVDs. I'm just saying. Corinne, don't listen to him. You're just fine. You didn't do anything wrong. Just don't ever cross me again. Exactly. You don't cross James. Hey guys, across the board too. Um, any year that we need to make film explosion lists that are not actually this year, you can send them to me at any time. Yeah, and then he can make cool, cool Blu-rays. Because um, I, I don't know what we're going to do next I'm gonna go week. work on mine now. It's Thank cool. you. Working, I actually have a preliminary list already for 2000, and I had Oh Brother, Where Art Thou at number 10, and I'm like, I better not do that. Or I, think I will that fucking is. stab you. Yeah. <laughs> so it's off there now. Um, <laughs> Good job. So, yeah, I don't know what we're doing next week. Looks like we have about another six weeks before movie theaters open. So um, we'll figure something out. Yeah, we got plenty of movies we like from the past that we can yep. turn into weekly episodes. Yeah, we'll figure it out for sure. Maybe I can put out a poll or ask people what they want us to watch. Um, until then, James, Henry, and Corinne, thanks for coming and joining us. Um, it was a long one, I know, on Zoom, and we appreciate – I appreciate you guys doing it. I will talk to you later. Henry, stay safe in New York. As it starts to open, my friend. He also has to deal with riots, so there's that too. 
Oh yeah, and the riots. Yeah, yeah. just don't go outside. Still yep. don't go outside, Henry. Thanks guys. Yep. Appreciate it. Thanks. Thanks. Bye. 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 And one by one, we do our personal best. Thank you for listening to this episode of Real Nerds Podcast. Real Nerds Podcast is a production of Nebulous Visions Multimedia. Thank you to Sparks Mandrill and Plan 9 Studios for our kick-ass theme song. Also, if you're in the Denver area and you're looking for a cool place to see movies, we see them at the Alamo Draft House in Littleton and now also in Sloan's Lake. Thank you to Colorado Coins, Cards, and Comics for supplying us with all our comic needs, especially you, Andrew. You know who you are. And a big shout out to James's mom. I'm giving you an electronic hug that you can feel through the airwaves. Thanks for listening and have a nice day.